the blast from our past network. Hi, this is Tom Matthews from Return of the Living Dead and Friday the 13th, and you're listening to Podcasting After Dark. Get more brains. Brains, Tina! Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Return of the Living Dead, Part 3, starring Kent McCord, Melinda Clark, and J. Trevor Edmond. Welcome to Podcasting After Dark, the show that asks, can zombies be too sexy? I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. (laughs) And the answer is no. The answer is no. (laughs) No. And this week, we are reviewing Brian Usna's Return of the Living Dead Part 3. Fun times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I haven't seen this movie since I was a... Since I was a teenager. Since you were a wee lad? Yeah, dude. It, I, this this movie came out, I, I feel like this was the birth of, uh, for me, like straight to DVD, straight to video horror, uh, Trimark Pictures, that, that like the whole subgenre of, you know, raw, hardcore, nasty goodness that I loved so much as a teenager. And uh, it was nice to go... Take a trip down memory lane or mammary lane, as I guess I should say, <laughs> in Melinda Clark's case. <laughs> Mindy, yeah, Mindy Clark slash Melinda Clark. I think she was billed as Mindy Clark on this one, and then uh, uh, later on in her career, she switched over to Melinda Clark, probably when she started doing The O.C., which I actually remember her from, sadly. Yeah, well, I watched this today with uh, our good buddy Diallo, and he that was the first thing that came out of his mouth. He's like, holy shit, she's... She's from the OC, and I said, <laughs> "Yeah." I said, "I I don't I never watched that show. Uh, I did watch Return to F- Two Moon Junction, which was oh. the sequel to Two Moon Junction, Sherilyn uh, Fenn movie, and I remember her in that. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I remember when I saw this." And I went, Woo, oh, uh, 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 uh. A lot of that was <laughs> that was that was me when I was watching this when I was like, you know, sixteen years oh, yeah. old. Oh, oh, I, oh, trust me, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, anytime I see Melinda Clark, I always think of her from this, and so like every time I would even like see her on the OC, I'd be like, oh, cool, it's the the lady from you know Return of the Living Dead Part Three. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, this is my pick this week, guys and gals. Um, so I'm the one that's going to be tracking it and breaking it down and all that kind of stuff for you. The reason I picked this movie is I, I have such fond memories of this film. From in, from like high school, and I know we don't delve into '90s movies too too much. Uh, this was pretty early in the '90s, and I think like like our high school movies kind of like still fall into the category of of ha- um, podcast after dark. Even though you know at this point, like you know obviously our parents didn't really care what we were watching at this point, or they didn't really watch over it. But uh, it's it kind of obviously is is you know it, go- it comes from our love of Return of the Living Dead Part One, then two. Those two movies kind of fell under the our normal banner of podcast after dark where movies that we probably shouldn't have been watching and then this was like the the natural progression for me 
I was super hyped for this film before it even came out because by this point, I had my Fangoria subscription. So I was reading all about this movie in Fangoria. I was seeing all the stuff that was they were talking about it. I think there was an issue where there was a pullout in the middle, like a centerfold almost, of the famous Melinda Clark, you know, standing there as the zombie and whatnot. And, uh, you know, seeing all the gags. Uh, obviously, if you guys, you guys know, you know, uh, you read Fangoria, most of y'all, I'm sure, growing up. Um, um, you know, obviously they would always center in on on the gore of the movie. So you'd get yeah. to see like a lot of this stuff, the behind the scenes stuff and the gags and, you know, like that zombie that rips its head away from its, you know, melted skin. You know, you, I think he was even on the cover. And uh, so I was like already primed and ready and and excited for this movie. And after I saw it, it fell into one of the categories of – so basically after I saw it, it became – one of those movies, this and Jason Goes to Hell, became those two movies that opened my eyes to the quote-unquote director's cut. And, you know, and I say oh, quote-unquote yeah. because I feel like that's used kind of loosely, uh, you know, here and there. But basically the extended cut or whatever. And in this movie, um, you know, most of the, the extension comes from just the, you've seen the full extent of the gore and the gags. It doesn't really change anything story-wise to it. And, and the same sort of thing happens in Jason Goes to Hell. And both of those movies, this and that one, I think, you know, are dramatically improved by seeing all the gore and all the effect shots and everything and are both dramatically stunted with the theatrical cut or the you know the rated r version and it just and and i say that as someone i'm not going to get into why or the technical difficulties um but i had a bit of a hiccup this morning and i had to watch the movie once on Amazon Prime in order to track it, and that's the rated R version. And then for funsies, because I had the time today, I watched the Blu-ray that Zach and I are both sort of reviewing it from. Uh, the Vestron Blu-ray uh, is the director's cut with the with all of the extended gore and everything. And just fresh off the out of the gate watching it, I gotta say uh, the gore definitely helps. It definitely makes oh, the yeah. movie so so much better. Um, so I have that going into this review. I have both versions f- today fresh in my head, so, and, I, and I'm excited to talk about you know the the differences here and there uh, and whatnot. Um, and Zach, you kind of mentioned you know a little bit of your your exposure to this film, but you know, do you have anything more to add with with how you came across it when you were younger? You said you said high school because this came out in '93. We were both in high school at the time. Uh, what is your familiarity with it going in? Oh yeah, I, this was the height of my love of horror this is right when i started getting a subscription to fangoria magazine and wanted to go to the fangoria conventions and so i was living breathing uh drawing dreaming horror and so when this movie came out i was so excited because i love the zombie genre and i remember renting it from the video store but feeling i think i rented it on my own at this stage of the game. Um, and I, but I was self-conscious because of the box art. And I was like, Oh, I hope I don't get weird looks from the girl at the video store, the store I ended up working at a couple of years later, video man. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, it, it, it did wonders for me, obviously. And no, I did this movie like, uh, was integral in my 
you know, further degradation. <laughs> Your sexual awakening? Well, yeah, no, just like degradation into like kind of sleazy horror because it is sleazy horror. It's very like over the top. And I did see the R-rated version, and I think at the time it didn't wow me as a, as much as I had hoped it would. Uh, and this was the first time watching the unrated version, which I was very excited about and overall pleased, you know, by by the by the last. 97th minute of this movie uh <laughs> you know and and so for me you know it's got highs and lows and but overall uh and being a huge brian Newsna fan uh i was excited to, to 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 dive deep into this once again and um and and watching it with diallo watch having an audience to watch it with like having a buddy to watch this movie with makes it a lot more enjoyable versus i think just watching it solo and you know dissecting it from like a from a you know like a reporter's perspective you know which is what you had to do basically yeah well when you're the one breaking it down which you know when when you break down your movies it's not easy to watch it with somebody or at the very least you feel subconscious about always pausing it and kind of ruining their experience and you know i didn't i don't i didn't I want my wife to watch this movie with me, but I don't want her to watch it when I have to break it down and pause it every, you know, three minutes or something like that. Because I, I try not to miss anything. So, you know, like a 90-minute movie sometimes takes me, uh, you know, maybe two hours and 15 minutes to sort of get through just because I pause it and, and whatnot. Um, but this one, this was a very brisk film. It went by very quickly. It's a very, very tight like story, very tight, linear sort of movie, and yeah. uh, it, it it and it, it feels small in some regards, uh, you know, which I, might not be a bad thing. I, I'm not quite sure, but I'm excited to kind of like dig into it and start like sifting through my my feelings about this because I have not seen this movie in you know probably 15 at least 15 years, probably more like 20 years or something. So yeah. I was super excited to watch it, especially after we've been doing Return of the Living Dead one two, and two a couple months ago. It's it's really nice to see the the, the series progress so far. It's really nice to see the series as a whole in such a short time frame that we've watched it. And, you know, before we jump in, I'll just say at the very least, all three return of the living dead movies up to this point. Right. And we all know it goes past this, but if you count just these three, they all feel drastically different from each other tonally and, and, and just like look and vibe and everything of it. And you know, that's kind of cool. I, I got to admit that's, that's a really cool thing. And you know, before we jump in, I will say that uh, I, I did watch the, the like 25, 30 minute, uh, like uh, it's a conversation between Brian Usna and the writer. I think his name yeah. is uh penny. Um, and they talk about some really cool stuff. You guys should, if you're a fan of the movie, you should definitely pick up the Blu-ray and, and, and watch the whole conversation because it's, it's really insightful. But apparently going into the film, Trimark, you know, basically they only had two criterias for Brian Usna, and that was uh, the zombies have to eat brains and you have to have the trioxin in there. So you, yep. he, they did, he did not have to follow the humor. He did not have to include any previous characters, which is something we speculated on in Return of the Living Dead Part 2 is if, if Part 2 was successful, would they continued having like tom matthews and james karen as like these these characters that kind of redo things um watching return living dead part three right now i can tell you that i don't think that there's any space in this movie for them and i think it would have been hindered if if brian usna was forced to kind of include them in it as like some kind of side characters yeah and i will say though there wasn't the same uh there was there was a lack of humor intentional humor 
there there was definitely some humor in this movie, whether it was intentional yeah. or or not. <laughs> yes, yes, I, there there was. I think there was some some intentional and some unintentional. Yeah, and uh, but I gotta say though, like uh, what it lacks. In humor, I think it made up for in heart and what it's like, the love story that it's trying to tell. And I mean, that that's kind of giving it a lot of, you know, positive positivity right there. But I do think that Brian Usna tried to do something here. He I think he really did as far as like like telling a love story and everything. And um, I, yeah, I know that they also mentioned that like. I, th- I think he was a little unpleased at how uh, the bride character turned out in Return the Living uh, in um, Reanimator, the Bride of Reanimator. Bride so he Re-Anim- wanted to yeah. he wanted to make this one kind of like the female um, you know protagonist that's also like kind of a monster. He wanted to to make her more central to the story. Yeah, I called this for me. I, I kept saying to Diallo, I kept saying this is Return of the Living Dead meets Reanimator. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. That's actually, I think that's a really valid uh, comparison. And that's not a bad thing. I actually, that that made me, uh, using that lens to watch this movie, made me enjoy it more. Yeah, yeah. Good, yeah, dude, totally. I'm, I'm totally with you, dude. The, the blood and the guts were fun. There's some, some nudity to enjoy, and uh, all around, you know, pretty, pretty good time. We'll, uh, but let's, let's dive into it as, as we normally do. We're gonna yeah. start talking about, you know, who's in it and, and, you know what their roles were and and all this kind of stuff. So I'm I'm kind of talking while I'm bringing up the the IMDb page. Um, but let's see. Let's start with weird. Okay doesn't have an official description on on imdb it's like a description that somebody else wrote that's really weird this is funny when you look at plot keywords female nudity zombie sequel <laughs> living dead self-mutilation um motorcycle crash father-son relationship undead addiction human turns into monster death of a loved one torture dehumanization craving death of a friend <laughs> craving vagrant craving brains gun, convenience store bitten on the arm experimental weapon unethical experiment biohazard <laughs> exoframe numbness i mean i could keep going but i won't wow. i just i always find the uh kind of that i guess you could the plot keywords but i call them like hashtags for imdb uh, yeah limb shot off cock as weapon oh sorry rock as weapon oh my uh, god <laughs> cramp uh cramp laser sight homeless man okay okay, <laughs> okay sorry okay. we get we get the point <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> oh, oh sorry La- last one last one disapproving father Oh, well, you know, you can't have a, a horror movie without a disapproving father. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, good old IMDb, buddy. That's always uh, there's always so much information there. I got to give you one more. Ready? Tan line. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Dude, That's dude I, so so what what this what IMDb may be lacking in their description, uh, they very much wait, make up for in the plot keywords. All right, IMDb is a, is a fucking shit show. <laughs> well, I, IMDb fucking... uh, is different on the mobile versus the the web because. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 this happened to me a few times where I'm like, wait, where's the character's name? It's gone. Yeah, it doesn't show his name like if you look at it on the main page, but then if you click deeper into like the full cast, it'll show his name right there. Yeah. Um, but to start with, uh, director Brian Usna, 
who we all know from Reanimator and from Beyond, correct? Yeah, Brian Usna is. I mean, he not only directed those. Well, he he didn't direct. Um, he did not direct Reanimator and From Beyond, but he did write them. And he, yeah, he was the writer for Reanimator, Beyond Reanimator, and that's kind of where he got to start with, you know, Stuart Gordon, uh, who was the one who directed those. They just had this great relationship of, oh my gosh, From Beyond, Bride of Reanimator. Uh, he, he wrote, you know, a, a lot of genre, great genre movies and also like honey, I shrunk the kids and, uh, <laughs> you know, and then, but then when, as a director though, like he, he's done some great, in my opinion, some fun horror films society, which yeah. we may come, we may have to visit at one point. Um, I've never seen it, but every picture that I see of it terrifies me. So I'm excited oh, to watch it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, you know, I, I always associate reanimator and from beyond with brian yuzna because he wrote him so it makes sense uh but you know he did like the dentist which is a kind of a fun b horror film and bride of reanimator is a bonkers sequel to reanimator uh and yeah he's he's got he's he's got a really um specific kind of point of view and i love that about him yeah i do too i think he's i like his style i like his like his visual aesthetic, um, it seems a little bit colorful and Gonzo esque. You know, yeah. the, the blood and the gore are a lot of fun. They, I feel like, even in Reanimator, you know, even though he he wrote it, um, but I feel like he his stuff always sort of skews in that Stuart Gordon direction, which is just just it's more splattery and fun than it is scary. Like it goes so over the top that you're not even like kind of scared at that point. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, from beyond scared me a lot when i was a kid um but in reanimator did as well but watching them in the past because i watch them every few years uh i i laugh in a good way you know because yeah. they're so over the top fun yeah totally that's a really perfect description such a colorful use uh it's it, it's comical but like not in a in a bad way in a fun way you know yeah I, I always find his movies to be fun, and I think that's a that's a really cool thing. I find his stuff, well, you know, and when I say his stuff, I always it's such a symbiotic relationship with Stuart Gordon, you know. Yeah, um, totally. But I, I just I find their their stuff uh, to be fun, and I I always enjoy watching it. it. There's always something enjoyable to watch in a scene, something that's going to pay off in some fun way, and uh, it's always a good time. I I find Brian Usna and Stuart Gordon always to sort of be a good time no matter what they do. And, you know, this I didn't think this movie was was an exception to that. Totally. Um, It was written by John Penny, who he's he's you know kind of well he was an assistant editor on Return of the Living Dead and that the first one and that's kind of how he got his job on this ah. they kind of brought him in on it and they were like hey you want to uh, this is per the conversation they had with Brian Usna but you know he was kind of a little shocked that he got any kind of a job like why he's like why am i helping write when i was just an assistant editor on you know uh the first movie but he was like one of the things where he's like i don't think he wanted to look a gift horse in the mouth so he's like sure you know I'll, i'll do that that's great um yeah you see john penny a couple times in the movie actually he was the soldier that runs in and tells the colonel where his son is like they they kind of have an idea of where the son is so they kind of move out and at the very end he's the one that kind of bumps into the colonel and he's like ah we gotta leave the whole place is gonna get locked down and then the colonel 
you know, walks away and he gets attacked and that guy gets attacked by the zombies. That is John Penny the whole time. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Look at, look at you with dropping your knowledge. <laughs> yeah. And he was the one that was, for better or worse, instrumental on bringing Scuzz uh, into the movie. Um, Brian Peck, who played one of the two technicians, one of the three technicians at the beginning of the film um, with uh, um, Tony Hickox and the other the other guy when everything sort of goes wrong yep. with that zombie thing. So, yes, yeah, Scuzz is in there um, from Return of the Living Dead Part 1 and Scuzz uh, or Brian. Um, shoot not cox uh and so brian peck was in he was in return of the living dead part one and he's in return of the living dead part two so as like he plays some zombies in that movie so he has the distinction of being like the only person that was in parts one through three and based on the interviews i've seen with him he wears up like a badge of honor he lo- <laughs> i would too though i would too and you know like before i think we've mentioned it we're not going to get into his personal stuff um you know he's he's had some run-ins with the with the law and uh we're, you guys can look into it if you want we're not going to get into it it is what it is so yeah yeah go 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 have fun with that yeah yeah so fans go, <laughs> yeah go down that rabbit hole um so actors wise top build we have kent mccord oh yeah I mean, so good. The guy is so good. He's been in so many great things. So many great, like, B things. Yeah. I mean, he's, well, like, the perfect, like, B actor dad slash military guy. Yep, and, yep. you know, I, I know him. I, I'm looking through his IMDb thing. I probably know him the best from Predator 2. Um, I think he was the the captain or something. But, uh, but I mean, like, he's been in so much stuff, like Battlestar Galactica, freaking uh, Sequest, like, all kinds yeah. of stuff back in the, the 90s and the 80s and everything and and renegade <laughs> he was in renegade for crying out loud i mean i i am not gonna lie i remember him specifically from 21 jump street being johnny depp's dad he was on one episode and that that's where i remember him initially from but going back and looking on his up his resume as well i'm like wait oh yeah i remember him in macgyver i remember him in adam 12 murder she wrote like so, Gala- uh, Galactica 1980, which was, you know, the, the kind of reboot uh, era of Battlestar Galactica back in the day. And he, the guy has such a classic television chiseled hero look to him. And he's perfect for the role. He's perfect for the role. Well, he's, he's got that chin, man. He's got yeah, man. that damn chin. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm saying to Diallo, I'm like, the guy's got to be at this point in 93 – uh, cause, cause shit, Adam 12 was like in the late sixties, early seventies or something. And I said, the guy's got to be in his four, late forties, early fifties at this point. Right. And yeah. Cause, and, uh, and I'm like, he looks damn good, you know, because Blu-ray HD for return of the living dead part three, you see every flaw, every little thing. And I'm like, the guy, <laughs> yeah. the guy looks damn good for his age, you know? Well, so, I mean, he was born in 1942, so he's pushing 80 right now. Like he's, yeah. he was pretty old already in <laughs> here. So, I mean, I'm not so good with the math, but he was like 50 at that point. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, but he looks great. He, he, he yeah. looks awesome. I, I always thought he was like a, you know, a cool looking dude. Like, like he, yeah. he looks right for all the roles that he sort of plays. You know what I mean? It, he, it, I, I, looking back on Exterminator, uh, I wish he was the, the main cop in Exterminator. I second that buddy. I 110% second that opinion, man. Next up, we have, and I'm just going by sort of the IMDb cast, yeah. uh, James Callahan. 
And yeah. he played uh, his. So his character, uh, his name was Colonel Peck. So there's three colonels. Uh, uh, Kent McCord played Colonel Reynolds, and James Callahan plays Colonel Peck, and then Sarah Douglas plays Colonel Sinclair. And Colonel Peck, uh, I mean, he that dude's been on like Knight Rider. Uh, James Callahan, he's been on Knight Rider. He's been on Mash. I mean, he's just been he's been around forever. Also, he freaking was was born in 1930. Unfortunately, <laughs> he passed away in two. 2007. Um, I don't think this is going to be as bad as as the Exterminator, with pretty much the entire <laughs> cast being being gone. But yeah, uh, yeah he, he did pass away in 2007. He was. I, I remember, and so did Diallo too. Uh, and from Charles in Charge, he was the grandfather on Charles in Charge. We were like, wait, uh, yeah, that's what he's from. Yeah, I'm looking through his. You know his his resume here, and I mean he's on like ER and stuff. The the practice, like you've just seen him in like a million different things. He's got a a huge roster. So I, I oh, was yeah. again another. Uh, I, I feel like for the budget, you know, they they obviously budget wise and everything had to kind of go with like this this smaller known cast. But I think they picked perfect people for every role. And I, I think the budget was so small they had like twenty some days to film the entire movie. Like it yeah. was really quick. Yeah, and and I I think you know going down your cast with Sarah Douglas, like she's a memorable for a lot of things, but I'll let you get into that. I think most people know her as Ursa from Superman and Superman Two. She was one of the Kryptonians, one of the three bad Kryptonians or yep. whatever. Uh, she was also in V, um, yep. and she was also in Conan. Uh, is she in Conan the Barbarian yep. or no, the, oh Conan the Destroyer? Yep, and then I think she was also in Solar Babies. Um, was it solar babies that she was in? <laughs> I, I mean, look, I love solar babies. Um, uh, oh, she, was I, in... I, just, I just know I laugh because I know they did a, uh, had this get made of it. <laughs> yeah, they, they did. And I'm like, you know what? I like that movie. Well, they did the same with the Wraith too. It, it, it's hey, look, man, it's all, it's all uh, relative, you know, like some right. people. Yeah. She was, she was totally in solar babies, uh, which I, to this day still love. And the return of swamp thing. Uh, which is a yeah. great, which is not great. It's it's a schlocky B, a sequel to the original, but it's fun. Uh, she's been in a lot of fun. Steel Justice, which was uh, Martin Cove of Sensei Crease from Karate Kid fame. It was like kind of going to be his action vehicle to launch him into stardom. Didn't work out so well. Uh, she was on Sledgehammer, she, Remington yes. Steel. Uh, Dude, I love Sledgehammer, man. I, <laughs> I love, yeah, I know you love your Sledgehammer, bro. <laughs> and actually, uh, Sarah Douglas is still working because she's on the new CW Supergirl show. So oh, that's, great. I mean, she's still around. She's still doing stuff. She And I, I had a huge crush on her when she was in Superman 2 and then Conan the Destroyer. Not so much now, but whatever. It's all good. Uh, but I was going to say, you know, like she, she's, in my opinion, that's that's a big get. I agree. I think she's she's probably one of the like the bigger names in this movie. I, I'd say, yeah. and uh, she does a really good job in it. Honestly, I, I, I enjoy. Honestly, I enjoy everyone in this film. I enjoyed everyone in this film. I I just my only little, and I know we'll get to it later on in the movie. Just wish she would have had a bigger send off, but that's my opinion. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was waiting for that as well too, and I completely agree. Um, Melinda Clark, uh, she was, you know, she oh, went yeah. by, I think, Mindy Clark on here, but uh, she's she's now billed as Melinda Clark. Uh, like we said earlier, you know, we both know her from the OC, which is, you know, hilarious. No, you and, know, uh, you know her from the OC, I, dude. <laughs> and and you and Diallo know her from the OC. I know her from Return to Two Moon Junction. 
and okay. Killer Tongue. Oh, I, and Killer I, I Tongue. I was gonna say I I know her from Return of the Living Dead Part Three and Killer Tongue. I I only watched Killer Tongue because of Fangoria and because of that really cool black. Uh, it's not it's like she gets body painted sort of towards the end when she sort of goes into her final form and man that's hot she looks really hot in that movie have you seen um return to two moon junction i have not because i've never even seen two moon junction oh well you should watch both uh (laughs) i think you would definitely uh approve (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm just gonna leave it at that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it at that uh, I'm gonna nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Zach's uh, showing me screen grabs uh, on his phone into the camera on Skype. <laughs> that's that's how we roll here, guys. <laughs> Technology. And uh, apparently, uh, she going into this. She had just come off a like I don't I don't want to say Broadway because I don't know if it's Broadway, but she was doing a play of Sid and Nancy, and she was playing Nancy, oh. so she was already like had this like drug vibe like she already knew how to sort of play a, a strung out druggy type of person and she kind of brought that with her here and yeah I, I and they kind of get into the whole like addiction thing the brains being sort of an addiction for it. it's it's cool yeah. I, I like again i said it earlier it, you know i feel like uh brian usna and, and penny were trying to like like actually say something with this movie uh here and there and there's little little sprinkles of it but apparently uh, that was a big selling point for them uh, to get her is that she, just she came with like the right amount of, um, you know, background that they sort of wanted um, to to play off against J. Trevor Edmond, who plays Kurt Reynolds, who is the son of Colonel Reynolds, uh, the dad who was Kent McCord and J. Trevor Edmond. Uh, I mean, I kind of know him from Lord of Illusions. He played a, a character in that. Uh, nothing major, but I mean, he was in like Beverly Hills and stuff. And he has like like total like '90s hair in this movie. Like it's it's '90s heartthrob esque hair, and yeah. he just looks he looks like oh shoot, what was the guy's name that was in Mallrats? You know, um, oh, shoot, like he's he was like a big time like. Jer- uh, well, there's Jason London and then there's Jeremy London. Right. Yeah. They're, they're actually twins. twins. Uh, Jeremy yeah. London was the one that, that was in Mallrats. So like, like J. Trevor Edmond always in my head kind of looks like Jeremy London. Like I kind of always got him confused. They have, they just have that nineties haircut, you know, that yeah. sort of that nineties heartthrob look, which doesn't, it's very specifically nineties, you know? Yeah. I, I, it remind it, it, it reminded me of when I was a kid and I watched Robotech and, uh, Rick Foker or uh had that that fucking hair in his face when he was flying the ship and i'm like wouldn't that bug him while he's flying he can't see everything and then i see this guy with his hair and it, it, look i got nothing against the actor at all but it was it was a little distracting to me <laughs> yeah no I'm i know I, I know what you mean dude like it's so like i said so specifically 90s looking yeah and and yeah i i'm with you man like uh, to this day like i've never well i have curly hair so like i've never had it like in my face so i don't know yeah. what that's like but i always imagine that yeah didn't it get in your eyes or something and like yeah distract dude, it's you? annoying i right come on <laughs> it, it, no one likes that shit yeah but it looks good on film though right <laughs> yeah i mean he, he's, he's got a good kisser he's got a good facha exactly Exactly. And unless you have anyone else that you want to talk about, I'm going to jump to one of the gang members and just real quick mention Mike Moroff, which uh, we all sort of recognize. I mean, he's been he always kind of plays like a like a tough guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in this movie, he plays Santos. (laughs) Yeah. I kept calling him Papa 
uh, Papa Gang, Papa Gang leader, because he was like, like, dude, you look like the dad in this group. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> he does. But like, he kind of like always looks like that. I, I always I feel like he always sort of looks the same yeah. and he always looks sort of the same age, which. Yeah. And, it, and now it's a good thing because it means he looks younger. But back then it was it meant he just always looked like he was like 38 years old. And I'm yeah. with you. I love him as an actor. I actually really always enjoy him. I really enjoy him in this movie. But I'm always, every time I watch this film, I'm always like, you just seem too old. And like, (laughs) (laughs) like, like when in real quick in the scene when they're actually in the convenience store yeah um playing like, the video like game. when the girl kind of like gets like goes up on him she's like i wanted to leave like hours ago he you can just tw- tell he's like sweating profusely through his shirt and i'm <laughs> like oh my god this is insane but yeah dude he looks like he's her dad yeah yeah and and, and i'm like oh did he take his kids out to to the corner store to play some video games or something. What's going on here? But yeah, yeah no, he's great. Like, yeah, if, if those of, for those of you that don't know who he is, he's, he's just a genre actor. He's been in a, a myriad of things, but, uh, but qu- like quality stuff, Robocop, La Bamba, you know, uh, just the list goes on. If, if you look up his resume, the guy has been in some quality, quality films. Yeah, he has. He really, really has. And he always sort of plays that sort of thug role. And he, and he plays it perfectly. And I'm sure yeah. because he plays a thug all, all the time, he's probably the nicest guy in real life. Because oh, that's sure, always yeah. the case. <laughs> Dude, I'm sure he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right, man. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add before we jump in with that Trimark logo? No, as we kind of bump along, I might say, oh, that guy was in blah, 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 this or that. And... You know, there's a couple people that stand out to me, but I I won't go into it right now. Even like that lady that was in the control room with them. Like I've seen her in a million fucking things, you know, and like all the gang members have been. I've seen them in different shit. It's just this whole movie is 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 just a who's who of genre actors, really. Yeah. I'm the river man. When we get to the river man, I'm going to be like. Oh, I remember him from blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Actually, I think Riverman's probably my least, uh, the one I, I, I know the least. So I'm excited to, uh, to I kind of have a feeling of what movie you're going to mention that he, you know him from. You but we'll, know. we'll wait until we get there. <laughs> okay. All right, let's, uh, let's kick this off. They vowed to stay together forever, that their love would never die. But their pledge remain untested. Oh, cool. No problem when the boss's son, remember? Until they went looking for a thrill. And stumbled on the chilling fact. Let's proceed. That even the dead can go on living. It came back to life. We gotta get out of here. And tonight, fate will put their promises <laughs> to the test. Oh, my God. Now that she's dead... He's frightened to live without her. But bringing her back is terrifying. <gasps> oh, God, Kurt, that was incredible. Let's do it again. Contain it, damn it! Seal it off now! Is that what I'm gonna become? These poor dead bastards crave brains. She didn't live. She gave you something bad. I'm feeling hungry. Never find you down here. What have you done? If she attacks him, he becomes like her. I just get a little confused sometimes. 
Love never dies. All right, buddy. Love that uh, Trimark Pictures logo. What about you? Dude, I... Okay, I... I was had so many Trimark posters on my wall as a kid of their action movies. They had some badass posters. I loved action movie posters. It, my walls were covered. My ceiling was covered with movie posters because Video Man would have, once a month, they would get rid of their posters. They'd do 50-cent poster sales, and they'd have all their posters from their movies rolled up. And you could save a poster if you go in and say, oh, I really like that poster on the wall. They'll put, a, they'll put your name on it, and then when, there's, when it's time to rotate it out to put a new poster up, they would give it to me because I, I love that video store so much. Obviously, I ended up going to work there, um, you know, and, and that that was a dream job for me as a kid, man, working at the video store and getting free posters and free like promo items. I had so many just like things that sold the movies. Trimark was so good at doing that. Um, they had movies with like Michael Pere and Eric Roberts uh, and, and they just look so cool. And I, I like iconic to me and, uh, the, the Trimark logo was such a badass logo. It, it for me, it was like it, Trimark used to be Vidmark, I think. Um, and then they rebranded Trimark is now owned by Lionsgate and Lionsgate actually got bought them up a long time ago, but, um, their catalog of, of quality B movies back in the day were, were pretty damn good in their, you know, horror, every genre, every genre. So when that logo popped up, I was so thankful that they kept that logo for this because sometimes when they re-release a movie, they don't include that. And it was just, I don't know. It was a nice like reminder of when this movie came out. So you and I both have the Blu-ray, and on the slipcase it says Vestron Pictures, yeah. but then on on the actual Blu-ray itself it does not say that. But then when you load the Blu-ray up, there's a Vestron like animation that sort of comes up at the beginning. Yeah, what does Vestron have to do with this? If this was a Trimark, did does did Vestron own Trimark and then does now Lionsgate own Vestron? I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Vestron, um, they got bought up by Live Entertainment, L-I-V-E. They were responsible for, they own like Carlico Pictures, which put out like Total Recall back in the day. Oh, yeah. Um, they were like the home video distributor. distributor. And then Live got bought out by um, Artisan. I think entertainment or, or Lionsgate. Um, but right in between there, like try, uh, Vestron became Vidmark, which became Trimark. I think that was the, ba, okay. ba, ba, ba. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And so th- then ultimately they all got consumed. And I think artisan artisan entertainment was right before Lionsgate. Um, and, they, you know, I remember they would put out like, oh, very bad things was like one of their biggest releases and Suicide Kings and like, you know, these kind oh, of yeah. ensemble 90s casts of yeah. guys who at the time it was like, oh, their careers washed up. And it's like, no, it's just like an independent film. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of the, the, the really brief history on <laughs> Vestron 
I could I could do a whole podcast on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should we'll have a spin-off podcast where we basically just talk about defunct uh, film studios and where they went, who bought their properties and where they are now essentially. <laughs> I think that I think that's one of the reasons why our exterminator episode is what three hours long because we we did like a a 30 minute deep dive into the history of canon uh (laughs) canon pictures and so i i I think it's almost three hours long because we can't stop talking and as we push 45 minutes here i know this one's gonna be three hours long too (laughs) so i and and just just and i I was doing a little bit of digging while we were talking to uh so like lightning pictures uh, was a part of them. Concord Pictures was a part of them. And so now probably like Lionsgate probably owns like all of those distribu- distribution rights, all of that kind of stuff and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we live in the time where kind of like a few companies hold like everything. Man, b- back in the day, it was like a gazillion, all these little gazillion uh, film companies were out. And now it's just like, you know, a handful kind of own all of that stuff. Yeah, and I will say just to kind of button it up, uh while on one hand that sucks because you know there's one big company that owns everybody on the other hand there are people that still love these these movies that work at those companies so i think that's why you know we're getting it may take 10 year 15 years or whatever but we're getting a, a re-release a special edition of return of the living dead part 3 which i don't think necessarily would have happened unless someone that who works for the company said I really like this movie. Like, let's put yeah. this out because let's be honest, like this, this kind of, it's kind of came and went, you know, uh, I don't think it had the same shelf life. It doesn't have the same shelf life that the the first two have. And, you know, uh, to that point, this Blu-ray has a lot of extras on it. It's got audio yeah, commentary with Melinda Clark. It's got car- commentary with, I believe, Brian Usna. Yep. Um, it's got that interview. I mean, it's got a lot of stuff on it for something that is not um, Shout Factory. Yeah, and I was going to say, this is probably the most expensive single disc purchase I've made in a while. It was like 30 bucks on Amazon. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. No, no. I, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> no, I, this, this, yeah, because I was like, I got I to gotta get the unrated version because that's the one we're reviewing. And I'm like, oh, shit, 30 bucks because I expected it to be like, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks. Yeah. This is $30 on Amazon. And I was like, damn, that's really pricey. Uh <laughs> That being said, and it's not available on Prime directly either. Like you kind of got to. Well, it's, it's on Prime. It. It's it's available on Prime, but not the director's cut. It's the rated R version. No, I'm saying like the the to to buy it to to have the physical oh, oh, copy. Oh. They don't do like the one day. Sh- they, I did actually find it. Like did a little bit of digging and found it, but but I'm like, wow, this is kind of rare that I would have to go this deep for this movie, but. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, um, you know, unlike the Cyborg, and I'm not comparing the two movies, but unlike the Cyborg DVD, which was around the same price, which had like a few extras on it, this I feel like you definitely get more than your money's worth with it because it's yeah. st- as a genre fan, I love all this shit. I eat it up. So, 
Yeah, me too, dude. I I was watching the the one some of the making of before we started recording, and I'm definitely gonna go back and like watch the rest of them because it's it's awesome, and in the fact that there's commentary too, uh, yeah. I might actually watch it through through with that. Um, it's it's funny all this came came about because we were talking about that Trimark Pictures logo that we both like, and I, it's interesting that my first three notes uh, are are a roller coaster essentially. It's uh first note is love that TriStar picture logo. Second one is that Return of the Living Dead three logo is trash, and then the, and then <laughs> yeah. the third one is I like how the scene is playing during their names. I thought that was kind of cool when like they were telling you know like the name would come up of like Melinda Clark inside the font like they made the font fat enough so that inside it they you could actually see and they just use the clip of her or that scene of her kind of you know I I refer to morphing into uh, Mega Julie and um, <laughs> kind of like you know sort of transforming Voltron esque style and. Uh, uh, I thought that was kind of neat that they did that to make it made it kind of interesting, but it's weird that that Return of the Living Dead three logo in between the two was just so crappy. That was a terrible logo. Yeah, it just felt like an afterthought. It really did. It felt like they took a bad screenshot of like the Return of the Living Dead logo and then just put the three in front of it. Like they didn't like rebuild it and like reshoot it or you know however you do logos back then because they didn't really it wasn't like Photoshop or whatever. You'd have to like write it and paint it and then shoot it or whatever. Yeah, but um, it it just felt like. It just felt like it was cheap. That that felt cheap. Um, but you know, okay, sets the tone. We're gonna be on a roller coaster. I think that it sets the tone that we're gonna be. Uh, it's not everything's gonna be perfectly pulled off in this film. So um, we have an establishing shot of a military base, and it's kind of like from the sky. Looks like an airport type of thing. And then they go inside the base, and you see that it's kind of like in a. You're in this sort of warehouse, but there are these giant cubes all put together in the warehouse. And you find out later that, like, that's kind of like what they're moving around in. Like, that's the base, is the cubes. And then it's almost like a secondary. Uh, feature of of protection is you have the 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 offices in these cubes that are inside of a bigger warehouse. So you have almost like a a double seal factor to the whole thing, um, which is I thought it was kind of a neat aesthetic. I I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I, I was some... oh, sorry. I was just gonna say I was I was proud of the fact I was pleased with the fact that they you know had minimalism, but they made it seem bigger than it was. They did a good job with that. Yes, I, I agree because I think shooting-wise, they probably only had a, a couple of corridors and they just shot them from different points of view to yeah. kind of give it that look. But it's one of those things where I was like, I get what you're doing is based on uh, budgetary constraints, but at the same time, it looks good and oddly enough, it actually makes like logical sense in yeah. the real world that you would build like multiple layers of protection, although it didn't really help in this matter. But, you know, they tried and I feel like that was, I feel like that's one of the cool things that I really like about this film is that they try to, they always try to sort of logically have it make sense as much as you can have anything with zombies be logical or make sense. <laughs> totally. Um, but you you know what I mean though. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think they did a really good job with it. So we come across some military people talking. You know, at first you don't really know who they are, but we know it's it's uh, Sinclair and Reynolds, Colonel Reynolds and uh, and the other colonel. So like basically all all three of them are sort of talking, and you find out that Sinclair is like sent from from Washington, and she has like an idea of one like one way to handle the zombies, and what she wants to do is is basically put them in exoskeletons or like have a, a an exosuit sort of control them, and you'll see what that looks like 
like later, but then uh, Reynolds has an idea of basically he figured out how to um, subdue them with these like specific bullets that they shoot to the head that can kind of like basically make the brain uh, shut down essentially. And all in all, this is a military operation because, you know, they're trying to figure out how to essentially just weaponize zombies, which I always think is a cool concept, you know? Yeah, I I felt like this was the the natural progression. Uh, And I feel like movies since then have kind of taken this into consideration. I feel like this movie may not be admitted to, but it's it's, it's had a huge, it's had a big influence on um, films similar in its genre with maybe a bigger budget. Actually, after watching it twice today, I agree with you. I think that this might actually have a little bit more influence than than a lot of people uh, want to give it credit for, because you really don't hear a lot of people talking about this movie in particular. But yep. you know, you watch a movie, like even Resident Evil stuff. I I feel like kind of steals a little bit from this. I can I can see it, you know, where someone was watching this movie and was like, oh, that's a that's a that's a cool idea. You know, yeah. I can do that better. And of course, they they always do it better with a better better budget. But I feel like this was one of the first times that we saw the military trying to do something with zombies as far as like weaponizing them goes totally totally yeah so uh basically they're not going to go washington's not going to go with sinclair's approach they're going to go with reynolds approach to this whole thing and um we follow them like he's kind of like they're walking with this body on a gurney and they're walking into like an operation room uh reynolds has to borrow someone else's key card to get in because he can't find his which we know later is because his son stole it um although that means that the security is pretty lax there and i'm glad that <laughs> i'm glad that someone in the story actually called that out about the security being so lax that you know it's okay that reynolds doesn't have his key card because i feel like at this point if you lose your key card and you're like dealing with level like this they would have just made you a new key card and changed all your codes at this yeah. point but yeah this, it's a it's a mcguffin it's a it's a plot point that we have to sort of just go with it, it um, works it works it works it does its thing you're just like ah, whatever who cares uh <laughs> we cut to a bunch of kids hanging out by the beach uh, we see the girl who we know later will be uh julie aka melinda clark she's got her hand over a lighter so she's kind of doing that you know you put your hand over the flame and you, know, you see how long you can hold it there for yep. that kind yep. of thing so it's Kind of given the idea that, you know, is she addicted to pain? Is she a little weird? You know, uh, that kind of stuff, right? She's she's a weird girl. She's a punk girl type of thing. I was telling uh, Diallo, I said, these are the chicks back in the day that would hang out. At, there's a coffee shop called Coffee Society. This is way before Starbucks. Uh, and these were like the, the emo grunge birth, right on the cusp of when grunge was becoming popular, like trying to be super cool and I thought they were super hot and uh, and and always out of my league, so I never went really near them. But the reality was, I probably could have had them if I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I probably could have had them. <laughs> but uh, you know, but uh, that being said, like they would be the chicks at the coffee shop who were just like too cool for school, smoking a cigarette before they were you know really legally allowed to type shit and just you know. yeah. I've got my coffee, man. As someone who did get to hook up with uh, one of these type of girls, uh, it was pretty toxic. I'm not gonna lie. So oh yeah, like... no, I'm I'm sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like serious I mean, it... daddy issues, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I can have a whole podcast about uh, about that first girlfriend that I had. Uh, it was it was wild, but um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, that was, she, she was my, my Julie. <laughs> she's your, she's your MacGuffin. 
Exactly. Uh, we meet uh, Kurt, Curtis, uh, J. Trevor Edmund, kind of picks her up. The 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 dude he he kind of rolls in he's looking all cool and his and his motorcycle right he doesn't yeah. uh, no helmet don't need that back in ninety three yeah that's gonna come back to bite him in the ass isn't it <laughs> yeah sh- yeah sure will fucking idiot um, so <laughs> he talks about uh, <laughs> he talks about having his dad key card and the experiment's gonna be tonight so you know they're sort of like they've already like sort of planned this um, so she gets on the back of the bike and you know her friends like well are you gonna see you tonight and she's like yeah I'm off you know and they're off for their for their adventure and no one will ever see them again because this is uh this all pretty much happens in one night and this is the beginning of it so <laughs> yeah i was gonna i was gonna hell. say that, that like it, it pretty much jumps right into it after at, right after this scene and how um that, what my one critic my one early criticism was that i felt like their relationship was lacking development uh, because because you know th- th- he'll do anything for her he'll de- she'll you know he doesn't want her to die he, because he loves her so damn much I would have liked to just seen a li- one or two lines to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that you know like uh, yeah like having a moment even if they look at each other and they're like you know I love you more than but life itself or something like that. And, you know, we are, we're destined to be together and have everybody go, Oh God, give us a break or, you know, something like that. I don't know. Just sort of like one little scene to a little bit more, you know, exposition. You're not wrong, buddy. I I'll back you up on that one. I would have liked to have seen something to kind of solidify everything. Although I think by the end of it, you sort of like you get it, but yeah. going into it, um, yeah, they they feel like okay, yeah, they're a normal like you know young couple or whatever, but they don't seem at first to have this giant you know Romeo and Juliet sort of uh, feelings for each other, but. They do. So, you know, I, that's, you know, hey, young love, right? They, they don't quite know what's going on with their, with their hormones. <laughs> we've, all, we've all been there, man. We've all been there. We've all been there, buddy. Uh, we cut back to the, the base, and the body gets wheeled into uh, the test room. And basically, they, they strap this uh, really skinny-looking guy up and they, like stand him up and kind of strap his arms up in the air so you know it, it's like he's hanging there by his arms but he's standing there and first off this dude is amazing looking he is super thin he's old he even has like some missing teeth because of some dentures and the reason he looks so fantastic as a zombie is because he's a homeless dude they found a homeless guy basically to, oh, to play this this yeah this guy was the total package meaning uh they had to wow. put him up in a, in a hotel because they were afraid that they were gonna like basically lose track of him and he wouldn't know how to like get to where he needed to be because they didn't have any sort of way to get in touch with him i don't know how they actually cast him uh but once they had him uh apparently he started to become a little bit of a prima donna uh on set requiring a, a limo to sort of pick him up and everything but <laughs> I think at the end, it's it was worth it. I would say for for them, it, it, the the payoff was worth it because he looks fantastic as a zombie. He just looks absolutely amazing, almost like you know, you, it's like almost Doug Jones esque as how skinny he is. But you, they probably couldn't afford Doug Jones. I was just gonna say he was Doug Jones before Doug Jones, and uh, <laughs> uh, well, not really because Doug Jones was was Doug Jones even back uh, back he, back then. That's I true. I mean, yeah. I always forget like Doug Jones was in like um, uh, Hocus Pocus. Oh yeah, like, he he's in a he's in he's been in a ton of stuff like back in the nineties and whatnot. This guy was great. He he sold it. Uh, I, I yeah. love how they had like a 
a metal cod piece on him because you know <laughs> heaven forbid i i get it i get why they did it but i'm like heaven forbid they show a dead body's wang uh on right. screen you know but that i i totally understand why they did do that but it's just yeah. funny it was funny to me i'm like oh that's a very fancy cod piece <laughs> So we like so basically it's it's three technicians are in the room with the the dead body and like a canister of trioxin uh in like sort of a, a watching room adjacent like sort of watching them in the control room is all three of the colonels and then this like lady technician who's sort of always sort of around and uh so they're they're watching everything that's that's going on here um one of the in the room with the zombie one of the technicians like i said is uh scuzz from return of the living dead part one brian peck and the other one the one that ends up with a, a fate a pretty bad fate is uh tony hickox who is a director he directed uh waxworks and he directed um hellraiser 3 i believe yeah hellraiser 3 Yep. And he's just he's just another genre director, which I think he's probably uh, sort of the same circle as Stuart Gordon and um, uh, Brian Usna, right? Like a, a young sort of genre director. But apparently, according to Brian Usna, he 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 like lobbied to play a zombie in this movie, uh, Tony Hickox. And so they made him uh, a doctor that gets basically turned into a zombie. It's awesome. I mean, it's like it, it, Return of Living Dead is a franchise that like people just love so much so makes sense well and actually speaking of that uh to to that uh, real quick um i probably should have mentioned it you know at the beginning when we were talking about the dad uh colonel uh what what's his uh what's his name um kent mccord yeah uh he was a bit hesitant on actually doing the movie it was his kids who were like, when they found out he was doing a Return of the Living Dead, they're like, Dad, you got to. It's Return of the Living Dead. Like, his kids were the ones that actually pushed him to do it because oh, cool. they were a fan of the franchise. So it's it's fun, it's fun to look back and think of, of that Return of the Living Dead was a big deal at a certain time. Yeah, totally. I mean, we... Uh... It, 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 I think even today, like you, you mentioned Return of the Living Dead, and people are like, oh... That's a great franchise. Even even though they're like up to like part six by this point or something, and I haven't seen any of them past number three. To be truthful with you, yep, yeah. I, I mean, I, <laughs> yep. I, I haven't either. Like, and 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 you couldn't, you couldn't. Well, you could pay me to watch them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, you guys could pay us to actually watch that you if could. you wanted to. <laughs> if if you go to Patreon and sign up on our Patreon page, <laughs> cheap plug, and Corey, we won't reveal who the next couple of guests uh interviews we're gonna have but they're big and yeah. they're huge folks and so <laughs> uh i that not i i look i i never want to force anyone's hand to, to spend money however if you were going to say i'm gonna spend five bucks this month or a little bit more what am i gonna use the five bucks for how about podcasting after dark because it's gonna be worth it and yeah you could pay <laughs> us well shit we'll watch we'll watch uh wax work if you want and uh because i can't stand the movie uh you know because i tried i tried watching it we're immediately gonna gonna throw tony hickox under the under the bus yeah sorry tony (laughs) and he's not even dead yet on the movie sorry 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 (laughs) okay go ahead and throw him under the bus (laughs) oh man but yeah we we have some big ones planned uh one of which is very closely tied to this movie in particular so um 
fingers crossed, we will be interviewing this person in about two and a half weeks. So yep. we are super, super excited. So we will, uh, once it's in the can, we will announce it. I always, I'm always hesitant to announce it before it's actually like done. Yeah, you know me what too. I mean? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so back to the movie. Um, we got the the technicians are setting everything up essentially, and we kind of get also some exposition that one colonel, the played by Calhoun. Uh, shoot, what was his name? Uh, colonel Peck. Colonel Peck. Colonel Peck. Okay, James Callahan. So Callahan, did... not Cal- Calhoun. You with your name? Callahan. Shit. Okay. Calhoun. All right, Robert Ginty. <laughs> <laughs> So we get some exposition here, and one of the colonels, Colonel Peck, he talks about the fact that he was a part of the original team that worked on the Trioxin, and he's like, back in 69, we found out about its other properties, we've been trying to basically militarize it ever since, yada, yada, yada. So right away, you get sort of like actually um, some mythos building into this world. And that's one of the things I actually really enjoy about this movie is I feel it actually adds to the overall mythos of of um, Return of the Living Dead. Because they also mention here, too, that that the reason Reynolds, Colonel Reynolds, finds out the reason that they want to eat brains, and it's because they need, actually, the electricity of the neurons. To, that's what actually feeds them. So, you know, the first movie, you find out they need brains because, you know, they're dead, they're hurting. Yeah. And yeah. then the next evolutionary step in here with number three is the reason why, which I like that. I think that's really kind of cool that they figured out sort of why. And it doesn't, it doesn't break the movie it doesn't break return of the living dead one you know what i mean like like no. it just you could because in return of the living dead you won you get the information from a zombie so the zombie doesn't know it just knows they need the brains to stop hurting but here you actually find out the reason why yeah no i love it it makes everything make sense up to this point like every yeah like, yeah I, i'm totally on board with that somebody was like why do you need to go a little bit deeper in the exposition or ex- explanation of it and like why not and yeah like there were punks and uh zombies figuring this shit out on their own now this is the source let's get it from the source finally we get it from the source yeah it's great yeah get it get from the source and you you get more information so i i think that's really really cool that was that's one thing i really enjoy about this movie um so we cut outside and uh kurt and mindy or mindy uh kurt and julie are basically driving up to the base uh you know the apparently kurt goes there all the time so the guard just sort of like waves him in he's like i'm here to see my dad guard just waves him by so they go by and 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 kind of go to the back and use the key card to get into a restricted area i don't know why they had to have this thing of melinda clark licking it for it to work like you know it doesn't work unless she licks it or something it doesn't that doesn't really pay off like i thought it was gonna be something that would sort of like pay off later but it kind of doesn't no it Um, it doesn't but i thought i thought it was sexy you're right okay good call that's the payoff the boner (laughs) is the payoff (laughs) um so uh basically they're they're inside the 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 base you know where the cubes are and they see or they hear like a guard you know patrolling so they kind of climb up on top of the cube so you're like you're on top of the building but you're still sort of they're still sort of inside of another building they're inside of the warehouse but you can there the cubes are like only one story tall whereas the warehouse is like two stories tall so there's plenty of room to actually just like walk around on top of the cubes it's it's cool it's a cool design i really dig it like i said before and so but they can the cool thing is they can sort of see into each room you know through these little windows that are up there and of course they they note that there's like this plexiglass sealing it off they're like oh it's got to be airtight so of course you know that's that's a 
a little exposition to tell you something right there. Yep. Uh, we cut back to inside the test room, the three technicians and the dead body. Um, they basically bring the canister of trioxin over to the dead body and then just kind of, you know, use a tube and, and you know, kind of have him get flooded with it. They're all wearing their biohazard suits, basically, the gas masks, the full the full thing, you know. So they fill the, the fill him, the, sort of the room up. They the, the zombie comes back to life, you know, starts screaming. It's really cool. Like, he's like, going, you know, and, and as... The fact that they use like like a homeless person with like no acting, he yeah. I think did a great job here. And if you look on his IMDb, he's got no other credits. Like this is pretty much it. So I think he did a fantastic job. He he kind of like looks up and he can see Kurt and Julie looking at him, and it kind of makes him freak out and everything. I was like, I like that. And then uh, he even has like this little target on his forehead that they sort of like uh, drew on with pen. And so what they're essentially doing is testing this new gun and it's a futuristic gun it actually looks like the sniper rifles that they use in robocop that are you know whenever they fire them like emil has one and he shoots it and it blows up the the store like in robocop they make them like these weird like guns that blow things up but they're actually really high-powered sniper rifles and i feel like the 90s used this gun a lot just because it's really cool looking and the end of the barrel has that thing on it um but you know it's tricked out it's got a hose to it you kind of like need uh, two men to to sort of handle it, which sort of comes into play later. But it's 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 definitely a prototype weapon, and you can only load in one bullet at a time. And these bullets apparently have like some kind of nitric oxide in them that kind of freeze things, right? Yep. yep. So the zombies hang in there. Everything's going smoothly at this point. They, you know, shoot him in the forehead. You see his cool little effect of his face going white, and he that's it. He's done. So I was like, oh, cool. It, it's a success. It works. The new the new weapon worked. It, it stopped the zombie. And, you know, and, and they even had a part earlier with exposition of saying how, like, you can't kill them. You know, like, we, we found out that we couldn't kill them, so we have to figure something else out. All of that little exposition was just to kind of, you know, if you hadn't seen part one or part two, then you'll know sort of going into it what's happening. And honestly, like, I think this first scene, this first buildup, is a good example of how to do exposition well to kind of get people caught up in a third movie that, and you don't really even have to watch the first two really. Yeah. For a third movie that is, you know, came out quite a few years after the last one. And um, yeah, I don't feel like it misses a beat. And I love that. I I've had forgotten about the gun and in the freezing, the freezing, the brain or whatever, freezing the, the body. And, and at first I'm like, Oh, yeah, they totally figured it out. Cool. Now this is going to play into... Yeah. Oh, shit. Go on. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Pretty soon, somebody's going to lose their fingers. Mm. So, um, <laughs> uh, Kurt kind of freaks out. Julie's kind of excited or something. Uh, she kisses him, and uh, like a, a pin falls off of her jacket, makes a noise. The guard kind of like hears it. So they, they kind of skedaddle out of there, but Kurt's kind of freaking out about things like, what was my dad doing? Right? Like he's just kind of blown away by it. Um, we, we cut back into the lab and they're taking the body down. Uh, all the colonels are talking, you know, uh, inside uh, the control room about how this is going to change like basically warfare forever. He's like, we can just drop the zombies in, have them run roughshod over the enemy and then just wait in and basically shoot him down. But I was like, 
Actually, really? Because if you send them to go to, like, if they bite and kill the other enemy, then they're going to get infected and come back. So now you're going to have, like, twice as many zombies as you started with, right? Is that a is that a real smart plan at all? No. And, and I don't, is that, was that thought out? Or maybe that was a, a loose plot point that they just didn't tighten up? Or maybe, like, that was just Colonel Peck getting, like, excited and sort of, like, thinking ahead. Whereas I think maybe at the end of the day, they were really just trying to figure out a way to stop the zombies because every one of the canisters that are in here is full of zombies, has a zombie in it that they can't technically kill. And they can't can't burn it either because they know what happens then, too. So they can only, you know... So, my yeah, my takeaway is that I think Peck was just kind of getting excited and being like, we can do this, we can do that. I actually think Sinclair's exoskeleton is the better choice, is the smarter option. And you would just basically remove the jaw so they couldn't bite people, but then they could still physically do things. Yeah. So I I actually go with with Sinclair on this one. Or just just merge the two. You can have both. You can have the the exosuit and you can have the gun that, you know, puts them down if need be or whatever. Um, But... All in all, everybody's happy. That's a good day. You know what? Credits roll into movie. That's it, guys. It's a happy ending. This is a great movie. <laughs> I wish. No, no, no. I don't. And I, I don't wish not not have the movie end. But I wish that. You know, I always I do like the happy endings, but this kind of has a happy ending, sort of. Yeah, and it's about to end. So <laughs> while they're all kind of talking, it kind of cuts back and forth while um, one of the the doctors is kind of, you know, taking taking the zombie down and, like, basically dismantling all of his harnesses, right? They think he's completely subdued. Uh, so he's, like, basically taking the thing out of his mouth and checking his, his you know, mouth passage or whatever. He's like, oh, you know, the throat's clear. There's nothing in there. But it's it's I think it's done really, really well. It kind of cuts back and forth. And, and yeah. everyone in the control center, is not really paying attention and so like a dummy that scientist who is played by tony hickox sticks his fingers <laughs> into the zombie's mouth and the zombie basically chomps down on him and he starts screaming and we get the first uh of many differences between the the rated r version and the unrated version and the rated r version you don't get as long of a of a shot on the hand when he pulls his hand out eventually uh it, it it's it's not like the zombie bit the fingers clean off. He essentially bit the meat off of the bones, and like so the so the doctor's kind of like looking at his hand, and his like his fingers are bony, right, and, yeah. and bloody and bony, and he's oh, screaming. Awesome. It looks it looks great. Yeah, it looks great. absolutely fantastic. so painful. So yeah, painful. So painful because basically like his glove and his and his finger skins are still in the zombie's mouth he pulls his hand essentially out of the glove and by doing so ripped off his his finger flesh essentially it's so awesome it's a it's a great effect and again it's it's a little bit neutered in the rated r version but not the worst this is this one isn't the worst of the neutering uh it comes later is is a lot worse than that so uh of course he's like oh he's screaming like oh my god looking at his hands <laughs> the zombie picks up a up a up a scalpel starts stabbing him in the back with it it's like yeah. insult to injury you know and the guy's like jesus christ you know and the other two guys are like shoot him 
you know, it's it's, it's chaos. Uh, you know, all kinds of chaos is happening. The zombie takes Doctor Hickox and basically starts smashing his head against yeah. uh, the the plexiglass that that all the people in the control room are watching. Like his head is like literally splitting open in front of their eyes from the back. Like yeah. they are getting the most perfect shot of <laughs> Doctor Hickox's head just exploding. Right? It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. And there's even a cool shot like uh the two other technicians load the gun and everything and they fired at the the zombie but they miss him so you actually get another shot from inside where that the bullet just sort of splats against uh the the zombie next to his head yes. you know but against the plexiglass window it was it's very well shot it's very exciting and it's very dynamic um i like all the zombie stuff that sort of takes place in the in here you know in in the base i guess i should say yeah you can tell right away that the budget is you know, substantially smaller. And so it's going to be smaller scale, but they totally makes up for it just with the gore and the, and, and just the way it's shot really well. I feel like it's everything's quality about it. Yeah. I mean, they, they could have just had, you know, Dr. Hickox, you know, getting his hand bit and that's it. But you know, he got his hand bit and his fingers ripped off and his head crushed. It's just, it's just fun. It's yep. just, it's fun violence from, from beginning to end now. So they, they load. So the two technicians load the gun again, and this time they actually like shoot him and hit him and he's down. So he's got two of those, uh, bullet things in his, in his head, that one zombie. But Dr. Hickox is over in the corner, slumped over dead, and you see a shot of his brain sort of fizzing, so you know that the, you know, I guess the trioxin is in there, and uh, that shot of the brain fizzing was not in the rated R version, but he kind of slumps over, and so the two other technicians are kind of putting the body on the on the gurney again, not Dr. Hickox, but the, the first zombie. They're putting his body on the gurney again. Dr. Hickox now is starting to crawl at them, and there's a good little suspense moment where they cut back to all the, the colonels in the, wa- you know, in the control room, and they don't see it because they're not really paying attention they're all like you know oh my god what's going on they're you know they're sort of losing it and then dr hickox zombie bites that other technician in the leg and starts attacking him and so now i mean it's just like they've lost complete control right so now in the control room they decide to seal off the room they you know they close it off with like actual bars and whatnot and that one doctor technician guy is trying to get away crawling while zombie dr hickox is like biting his butt cheek and biting him like all over and stuff so you know this guy is just dead and uh or at least you know will be if he doesn't get eaten uh he's going to turn into a zombie but um the other final technician guy is is scuzz is brian peck and he actually shoots the hickox zombie and you know everything sort of like now is subdued and you know they're like get a containment team in here yada 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 but basically shit hit the fan you know and this whole scene was so much fun i loved it yeah me too yeah it it, it was bonkers and uh a lot of good gore from from beginning to end, and yeah, it was a great way to like kind of kick off the movie. <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, kind of start the start the fun. So we cut back to the house, and Julie and Kurt are having sex. <laughs> and we find out that Julie's kind of like obsessed with what happened. She keeps thinking like, oh, you know, do, do you think, you know, that that was just so crazy? Do you think that guy, was he dead? What was that horrible noise he made? She's just like obsessing over it. She was like, did he feel it when the bullet hit his brain? And she's just like totally locked in on it. And Kurt is like, God, you know, he's like, he doesn't want to talk about it because, you know, that was his dad. And he's just, he's freaked out by the whole thing. What rightfully so. 
and he just wants to have sex. He just, but yeah, and you get to see uh, see uh, Mindy Clark's boobs here, which is kind of nice. I I, for, I knew like I knew that you see them, you know, obviously later when she's all in her mega Julie mode, but I I kind of forgot that you you saw her, you know, in the other parts of the movie as well. Yeah, it was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm I am right now recording by myself. You, on the other hand, are not by yourself in a room that has other people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, I I, I mean, look, <laughs> I remember it, I, I remember as a kid watching that scene. I'm like, oh, but come on, like, can we get a little more? Can we get? Can we expand on this scene a little bit more, please? <laughs> can we get a little something, something be, more be, out of it? Because look, when she's when she's naked later in the movie with all pierced up, I'm just like, that's not. It's just it's just not sexy. Not, that part's not sexy. I'm like, ah, I, yeah. I, I can't make out with that. Because <laughs> you'll get hurt. Yes. Now, I will say that uh, I, I got to give some love to uh, the set designer, uh, the set decorator, because he has a poster of the band Life, Sex, Death behind him, and I used to listen to that band. And he also has a poster of L7 in his room, which I listened to as well. So oh, yeah, I was like, L7. Oh, man. Yeah, that's cool. Did you not know? Did you not know Life, Sex, Death at all? I know I didn't listen to them. I was ninety. We're we're talking ninety three. I was like probably immersed in other genres of music at the time. Okay, fuck me then. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure we were gonna have something to talk about there, but moving on. Fuck you, Life, Sex, Death. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. I was like I was listening to shit, Spin Doctors, and. Uh, uh, I think Tool was starting to come out. Maybe not. Maybe they came out yeah. in 94. But anyways. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jello Biafria? Uh, no. Uh, Colonel, uh, Colonel Reynolds comes home. And uh, so they kind of like have to quickly put their clothes back on and, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, scramble type of thing. Uh, Kurt's afraid that his dad knows about the missing key card and that's what he's going to kind of like ask about. Um, but he basically just comes in. He's like, you know, and he sees Julie sitting on the bed and he just looks at Kurt. and He's like, I got to talk to you, son, by yourself. And he basically they go into his office and they he tells Kurt that he's been reassigned to Oklahoma because, you know, I mean, he, he basically failed. Like the whole thing was essentially a failure. They're taking his commitment man away and basically reassigning him somewhere else and they're just going to give it to Sinclair. So uh, Kurt kind of gets, you know, freaked out and pissed off because he's like, you know, they've only been there for six months, I think. And, you know, he's just now making friends and obviously he's, you know, got a girlfriend and, you know, at this point he's, I think he's supposed to be like probably 15 or obviously 16 because he's got a motorcycle, um, you know, probably a senior in high school or, or you know, and you know, he doesn't want to move anymore. He's a military brat and he, he's, he's tired of moving. So he basically tells his dad, you know, to fuck off. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go, uh, uh, you know, move out essentially run away or whatever, you know, but he's basically goes back to Julie and he's like, you know, we're out of here. This is, this is, you know, we'll go to Seattle or whatever. We're just going to get on our bike and go. And his dad is like, you know, son, come back here. And I don't know why, but I like the fact that, like, his dad was like, he said, I'm talking with you. He didn't say I was talking at you. He goes, I'm trying to talk with you here. And I was like, oh, I actually seemed kind of not like the dad was trying to have a, a dialogue versus like, I'm telling you what to do. It, it was I almost cued in on maybe it was a character thing. 
I think I'm probably giving it much more credit. The the writer probably just wrote <laughs> uh, talking with instead of talking at. Yeah. But I don't know. I kind of liked it. I, I thought I started thinking like maybe the dad actually kind of can be, um, you know, open with his son and, and maybe communicative. Maybe. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe now wasn't also the best time to talk to Kurt because, you know, he's coming off all these feelings of, you know, his project is, is taken away from him. So maybe he didn't handle it as well. But uh, I I actually kind of liked it as a scene, like with the dad and the son. I thought it was believable, and I thought it was uh, it didn't go on too long, and I thought it was uh, uh, necessary. Yeah, it, it was a good setup for their their relationship and and where they're gonna go throughout this movie and and the angst that he's feeling because he wants to go to Seattle and be in a band and. Well, it's funny. He's like, I'm, I'm, we're not, I don't want to leave, but yet he winds up eventually wanting to leave. But like, you know yeah. what I mean? Essentially, it's not that he wants, doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to leave Julie. That's, yeah. that's really what it is. Yeah. And, and the um, dad and knows he, that. The dad knows he's a bad, she's a bad influence on him. Right. And of course, like, you know, uh, you know, Kurt wants to be in a band like he, he wants to play drums. And uh, so, of course, where do you go? You go to Seattle because I think the grunge scene was was pretty strong in 93. Right. Yeah. I said to Diallo, I'm like, I hope this wasn't the reason why I wanted to move to Seattle when I was a kid, because I did at one point. <laughs> like, I hope this this wasn't the movie that made me want to do that. I don't think it was, but it could have been. <laughs> this movie might have been more influential than than we give it credit for. <laughs> Uh, and it also might have been uh, the reason we have uh, helmet laws these days That's, for uh, No shit. Yep. <laughs> but uh, so we cut now to Kurt. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we cut now to uh, Kurt and Julie uh, basically riding on the motorcycle, you know, uh, sowing the roads, feeling great, like, woo. You know, we're going to do it. We're going to we're going to make it big in this world, essentially. And uh, Julie's being a little bit too handsy with <laughs> Kurt's genitalia while he's driving. And I don't think that's a very smart move when uh, when you're riding a motorcycle. Right. right? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> you, I, I, I've never ridden a motorcycle, but I don't need someone putting their hand on my junk when I'm trying to steer. And he's not very good at riding a motorcycle to, to begin with. So yeah, he's new. He's yeah. like he's a kid and he he kind of just got his license. So I I was like, "Oh, Julie, you're you're an idiot." Um but uh so she's going to town on his junk. He's losing, you know, he's losing it and they kind of round a corner and a truck's coming so they have to kind of move. And so they hit a basically they hit a guardrail type of thing. She gets shot off the back of the motorcycle and hits the um uh, the light post basically, and you hear yep. a crack. And I thought, I thought overall they did a good job of, of how they cut that together. And like basically her getting shot off the back of the bike and then cutting to her hitting the, the, the pole. I thought it was all very well executed. Oh, it's great. And yeah. Yeah. Everything about this movie, I think was very competently executed. Yep. Um, that that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but you and I have seen enough of these movies to know that saying that one of them is competently made is a very big compliment to give it. Yeah, no, I mean it. it there was so many. There's so many bad movies that came out around this time, and and this one has like this is not a bad movie. This, this movie's well made. Um, you know, for what it lacks, I I feel like it's easily dismissible in that area where you just go, yeah, well that was a product of its time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I wonder, man, like what he could have done with a bigger budget with this film. Or or maybe uh, Brian Houston is one of those people that works re- better within the confines of a, of a small budget. And maybe, you know, if he had more of a budget, it would have been shit, right? Yep. Like maybe this is this is perfect for him. Maybe this is the perfect version of Return of the Living Dead Part 3 that, that any of the multi-universes have. Um, so, you know, obviously Kurt freaks out. When he finds her, you know, he's like walks over to her, you know, and she's obviously dead. And so he sees the key card next to her, conveniently enough, his dad's (laughs) key card. And so obviously, you know what he's going to do. And I love the fact that we get this shot of him driving up to the guardhouse, you know, on the base with Julie's lifeless body just dangling behind him. And the guard doesn't even question it and because her legs are like. Yeah. stick straight out yeah. dangling i i don't know if that was intentionally humorous or unintentionally humorous but i found it to be very humorous yeah yeah no diallo and i both were laughing our asses off of the scene and then we said the same thing we're like i don't think that was intentional but it was would have was really funny it almost reminded me of a scene from Mannequin when he yeah. was, I think there wasn't there a scene where he was riding a motorcycle or she was riding in the car and when someone would look at him, you know, it would look like, it just, it looked like she was a mannequin and that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, I just, some some funny music going behind it would have been hilarious too, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> And then, uh, so he's got to like kind of like carry her lifeless body through the corridors of this place, and uh, you know, so he basically takes her using the key card. He takes her to the room that they watched the experiment earlier with, and he puts her down kind of on the ground where that one thin zombie was strapped in, standing, and everything. And he grabs one of the the canisters. He puts like a suit on and all this kind of stuff. Like so, he has the suit and the mask and everything, and he has like the canisters kind of like right next to her he tries to open it but he can't really like unscrew the the whole the nozzle hole or whatever so he has to actually pry the top open with like some kind of you know a medical device but basically the canister top now is is popped open a little bit and all the gas you know sort of seeps out onto julie and you know so she starts twitching and you know essentially basically comes back to life because that's what trioxin does yep (laughs) that's all it does that's actually its only function (laughs) and when she comes back yeah she comes back pretty quickly and you're like oh right on like okay cool here we go she's good she does some good stuff like when she first sits up she does this weird like head thing because she's like my neck hurts and then when she like sort of sits up it's almost like that she's putting her her neck socket back into place but yeah uh, you know no cgi done whatsoever i just thought melinda clark herself did a good job doing that weird like head movement you know she did i was like i like that when she's like you know, I feel weird. I'm like, yeah, because you have a broken fucking spine right now, but <laughs> yeah. you, yet you're you're able to function. Okay, yeah, it's like all right, but it, it's kind of cool because she doesn't know what happened. You know, she's like, where are we and everything. Um, yeah. uh, although she does kind of feel numb and her neck hurts and everything, uh, like we just said. Uh, the zombie in the canister, like the basically the canister falls over and they're like, uh oh, we gotta you know get out of here. Yeah. And you kinda sort of hear something or whatever, and you don't really know what's what's coming. And then all of a sudden, boom, the zombie pops out. I love this zombie. It's my favorite zombie in the film. It's uh it's I guess it's probably I guess they probably sold it as Tarman three right? It's, yeah. it's the newest Tarman. Um it's so if you guys haven't seen the movie, this zombie's head 
and is is kind of fused to the left side of his body and then his left arm is sort of fused into his body it's like his skin is like sort of melting so he has control over his right arm but his left arm is he can't move it and he can't move his head because it's kind of like stuck to the side yeah and and it's it's really cool in a minute what what happens with all that but um so he's it's he's a really cool looking zombie i like his weird cackling he's like he like sounds really like maniacal yeah it kind of has like a evil dead two look or army of darkness look to it in a weird way to me yeah that's what it reminded me of and and he's more flesh colored he's more like tan colored melted flesh than tar man how he was like sort of black and and green and whatnot so this zombie uh they kind of run out of the room they seal they close the door and seal it and they kind of have this talk about her being dead and everything and i i I do like the the subtle thing in the background where where the zombie starts actually turning the crank on the door because it's got one of those every door has the one of those like um submarine doors where it's a circular seal where you kind of have to like turn it like a wheel to close the to, yeah. to lock the door and then you turn it to the left to open it and i like how they're talking the two of them are talking and, and the, the door's kind of in between them and you can see the the door handle which is the wheel kind of turning because the zombies you know kind of figuring it out and everything and then all of a sudden the zombie you know bursts through and uh kind of attacks uh julie which i Twice in this movie, a zombie attacks Julie, and I'm always like, but why? She's dead. They should know that. Maybe it's because it, she has a bit more higher consciousness to her than, than uh, you know, than the other zombies. I'm not quite sure. It didn't, it didn't distract me from it, but I did take pause. I was like, especially the very, very end, um, I'm like, why did they even attack Julie to begin with? She's one of theirs. She's one of them. I, I'm just going to quickly say that, like, Julie... Like the, the Melinda Clark is, she's so good in the scene though. Like every, every scene she's in, she's really good, you know? Yeah. hundred percent agreed. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say yeah. about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we got a couple shots of this guard, like walking around and, and, you know, finally, you know, he's kind of, kind of come into play. And so, uh, uh, Julie and, um, uh, Kurt, break free from Tarman 3.0 and they kind of push Tarman 3.0 back. He kind of like lands like, you know, on his butt type of thing against the wall. And now he tears his head away from yeah, the skin of his this. body and he tears his left arm free from the skin. But now like the left, his left arm is full skeleton. It's just a skeleton. And then the left side of his face is a skeleton with like the optic nerve going from his eyeball. That's out. Like now that's essentially the eyeballs on his left shoulder. Now it's going up to it's, it's such a great effect and such a great gag. And this zombie just looks fantastic. And I remember this zombie was very much uh, featured a lot in Fangoria, but I, I think it's a really cool effect when he tears, where he tears like his head away and his arm away from his own flesh, essentially. Yeah. It's, I think it's for me, it's my favorite zombie in the whole movie, but um, agreed. But, but yeah, agreed. It, it, it's, it's a gross, super gross scene, gory, super over the top. And uh, yeah, mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from T to B, mission accomplished. Uh, so now Julie and Kurt are like getting ready to get the hell out of there. Uh, they get to the door, and the guard, you know, says, "Hey, freeze!" And he's got his gun out, and the that zombie Tarman three attacks that guard, 
and eats his brains. And as they're getting ready to, to leave, you know, Julie looks back and she's like, is that what I'm going to get turned into? And, you know, is that what I'm going to become, essentially, which which I thought was cool. And, and these are like I wish they would have like kind of gone into that a little bit more about like her fears of what of what, you know, what she's going to become. But they they do touch on it a lot. It is sort of the cornerstone of this entire movie. But so she sees that and she's like, oh, shit, like that's that's what I am now. I'm going to become that thing. One one when uh, the 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 guard flashes on the screen, Diallo goes, I think I know that guy. And I go, well, it doesn't matter whether you know him or not, because he's going to be dead in about two seconds. So and then uh, (laughs) and uh, and then when she's kind of going about like, is that is that is that going to be me? I'm like, yeah, that's going to be you. You're you're dead. You should have been dead. Sorry, buckaroo. But that is you. (laughs) That's what happens when you play with a dude's junk on the back of a motorcycle uh, with no helmet on. You ding bat. You dang ding bat. <laughs> uh, so now we cut to Colonel Reynolds is now like watching the footage of what happened. So they know that it's Kurt and, and Julie. Um, they they kind of like they know everything. There's no, you know, if, ands or buts. Um, they, there's a little bit of exposition saying that the, the girl got brought back fully intact, essentially. Um, which is probably like, if you, if you see all the zombies that they're working with, uh, she's probably the only one that they would even have access to. That's just completely pretty much fine. Right. Like, like she died. I mean, yeah, her neck's broken, but none of the other zombies that they have like died in their sleep. Right. Like that would be the ideal scenario is that you get somebody that died in their sleep and all their their brain like nothing's deteriorated and they get turned into a a, you know they get brought back and now you can see what's going to happen but here they're explaining like okay why didn't she attack kurt and then this uh, other lady scientist is like well i think maybe the their bond is too strong her her brain you know is still sort of intact but she's like but once her brain starts basically dying she's going to just start attacking indiscriminately so essentially there's a ticking clock scenario happening now yeah, and you're like, when when's she gonna turn? When's she gonna turn? When's right. she gonna turn? Yeah, and then, and that's gonna be like basically in the back of your head, you know, for for the entire time. Yep. Um. So Colonel Sinclair is trying to like take charge, but uh, you know, basically Colonel Peck says no. You know, Colonel Reynolds, the dad, has he has you know he's gonna what like you know see his command through till tomorrow. Basically, he has till tomorrow to to find his his kid. Um, so Julie and Kurt are driving through the city now, which is very clearly downtown L.A. You know, uh, back when back in the '90s when downtown L.A. was not hip and cool, so like you could actually drive around and all the businesses were closed. There's no one on the streets. That looked like probably uh, Broadway. Uh, now, if you try to film that now, it would it's just bustling with life right so if, if you guys will go watch this movie and you see the scene where they're driving through the city it doesn't look anything like that now at all yeah they and probably I used to actually live over there yeah you'd have to film that like at three in the morning or something <laughs> hell no i mean you, you know as well as i do it's still jumping at three in the morning down there now Four. It's, it's the cool it's the hottest place in uh in in la at this point sadly the, the hottest UTLA, place baby yes all right, so they're driving through the city, and I like how she's kind of, like, freaking out about everything. She's like, do I smell? And he's like, you don't smell. I, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, that was um, funny. But she needs to find food, and, you know, she's she's just, like, starving, which is going to be the theme throughout pretty much the entire movie is always her, you know, being hungry. And uh, But unfortunately, she does not know yet what she's hungry for. So 
we cut to like inside this convenience store. Uh, it's it you know it, I think uh, there's a Korean gentleman is is running it. Um, I've seen that guy in a, a billion different stuff. Yeah, you know he's he, he's been in a bunch of different things. He was in uh, I yeah I I was like where I know where the I know this dude where's he from and I looked him up and I was like wait was he one of the he was one of the main villains in Rambo uh, First Blood Part Two. Oh nice <laughs> nice that's I'm awesome. Like, okay that's that's not anything to shake a stick at you know whatever that whatever that expression is yeah no and and i totally recognized him when when i saw him like almost every like i said almost every person in this movie i recognize they're all genre actors you know they've all been around and been working forever yeah right even like when this movie was filmed like most of these these cats have been working for a while so inside the convenience store you got you got now the the group of of punks the bad punks or eh, they're not punks they're more like like thuggy type of gang guys uh they're like a like a like a latin gang of of three dudes and one chick so a small little gang but they are the you know antagonists at the moment and they're playing a video game uh you know the the one guy santos how we said earlier looks like he's their dad but you know he's he's very into that video game they're all very into whatever that video game was yeah i'm watching it (laughs) did you tell by the marquee what it was no i i couldn't i was trying to make it out and and but but at the same time i'm like this is cool. There's like a okay. I I love a good arcade game uh, scene in a movie. This is this is badass. Yeah. I can dig this. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm like, well, wait, wait, the, wait. So is it like the dad with his kids there? And you know, <laughs> yeah. and then the one girl I recognize from a lot of stuff on late night Cinemax. Uh, I can't yep. necessarily pinpoint her, but I, you know, I'm like, oh, I reco- I recognize her from back in the day. <clears throat> <laughs> like like Emmanuel goes to America or something like that, you know. She's she was in those type of movies. And yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm with you, dude. I was like, oh, I I recognize her. I'd I probably recognize her better naked. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And then the other dude, uh, Felipe, who who people will recognize him right away. He, that guy's been in a ton of stuff, and yeah, just, he, he's always kind of like a you know side character in a movie and. If you look him up, his number one credit was like Full Metal Jacket. But the but the dude, you he's just got such a familiar face. And and it, I think back in the day when I saw guys I had seen before and I'd see him in smaller roles, I was like, no, I didn't buy it. Like when I would see like Billy Drago in in, in Invasion USA, and I'm like, yeah, but he got killed in Delta Force Two, and I don't know, like. Uh, but now watching these guys, I have a different appreciation for actors like this than I did when I was younger. When I was younger, I was like, yeah, yeah I want to see somebody else. And this, I'm like, oh, it's so cool to see them again. Yeah, and you got to, you know, like like the fact that these, like, character roles, like, they have to inhabit all these different kind of, of characters yeah. and, and, br- cool. and bring life to them. And this movie doesn't have any like throwaway characters really like everyone gets a little bit of something to do you know i i think that's that's one thing i really enjoy about this movie is everyone yes they are cardboard cutout thugs but they're they're a little bit elevated you know i I don't know why they just they maybe it's the actors maybe because they actually use good actors but they feel a little bit elevated from your normal like thugs like your your stupid piece of shit thugs but uh so 
you know, Julie and, and Kurt come in there into the store and she's just started going like eating, eating <laughs> things. Basically, she's trying to figure out like what she's hungry for. She just knows she's starving. Yep. So she's like trying to like, like eat like ding dongs and ho-hos and, and, you know, snowballs and basically all kinds of crap. It's like, yeah. why don't you try eating like some meat or something? Right. <laughs> but, uh, she's going for all the sugary crap. And, uh, while Kurt is trying to sort of, you know, snap her out of it, like, what are you doing sort of thing, he bumps into one of the gang members, starts a bit of a little a little bit of a thing. He starts a thing. And the thing, of course, starts escalating, right? Yeah. To the point where now the, the owner of the convenience store has to come out from behind the counter. He's got a gun. He's like, you guys got to leave. Well, yep. I'm sorry. He doesn't have the gun yet. But he's like, you guys got to leave. The girl, he's like, you got you got to pay for this. You can't be eating and not paying for it, blah, blah, blah. But while they're all distracted, one of the goons goes behind the counter and basically starts looting the the cash register. So the owner sees that. Then he pulls out the gun, and he's now sort of like one of those scenarios where he's getting surrounded. You know, he's like telling everyone to leave, but you know the he's got goons in front of him and behind him, and they're all kind of you know creeping up on him. And then Santos finally sort of grabs him, and you know they start struggling, and the gun gets turned like inwards. And the store owner gets shoots himself basically like in the stomach and everyone sort of the, the gang members sort of run out while, you know, uh, Kurt and Mindy, I'm not Mindy Clark, uh, Julie are like, you know, trying to help that guy. And as the gang guys are leaving, they shoot Kurt's motorcycle so they can't follow him. I was like, yeah. okay, that, that's kind of smart. And they get in their sweet-ass ride, which looked like some kind of Camaro or, or Charger or something. And uh, they peel off. And Kurt and Julie are like, you know, we're going to leave the, the, I guess the cops are coming, you know, you'll be fine. We got to go. And they go to like this, this van that's outside and they're about to like kind of get in it and, you know, like, like basically steal it. It's, it's his van. It's the owner's van. And and the owner's like, basically take me with you. The the hospital's just right a couple blocks away. So just take me to the hospital. And like, they're like, sure. Cause they're not bad guy. You know, they're not bad. Yeah, Yeah. They're in a bad situation, but they're not bad. It's like, yes. Yes, get get in, we'll take you, right? So they like they peel out, they're gonna take him to the hospital, but cops are in hot pursuit. They're on their they're on their tail. And basically, I love how the, the store owner is like, I'll go with them. Wait, just stop the car, I'll go with them, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Well, yeah, that's that's smart. I love that. Yeah. He's like, No, just uh, let me go with them. <laughs> just uh, I'll I'll do that instead. But uh so the cops start shooting at them, which I always find that funny in a movie when cops just willy-nilly start shooting down the street, you know, while they're pursuing a, a, a car. Well, I, part of me was like, that never happens. But then there was a shootout a, a couple months back in Florida where these cops just started blasting at a guy who was holding a UPS driver hostage. And they shot, and I think they killed the UPS driver too. They just, Jeez. like, they and they, they shot, like, uh, some random lady in a car because the bullets went flying everywhere. So I'm like, oh, uh, I, maybe this isn't that inaccurate that they would just start <laughs> blasting a dude in the car. Yeah, I mean, cops, they're only human, right? And uh, yeah, that's that's sad. That's terrifying and sad because yes. I expect that stuff to happen in movies, but not, you know, actually in the real world. But, but for this, it does. For this podcast, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a good example. 
Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's a uh, uh, life imitating art, I guess. Yes. Uh, we get a real quick scene back at the base. Uh, the dad, Colonel Reynolds, finds out that they they know where Julian Kurt is, and he he rolls out. That's um. That was also the guy who delivers that news is the the writer, uh, as I was mentioning. Oh, earlier. cool. Okay. Yeah. So in the van uh, with Julie and Kurt, uh, Julie kind of like starts stabbing her hand with like the needle yeah. of, oh, the, of the pen, right? Yeah. And, and it's the same pen that kind of fell off her jacket when they were kissing in, at the beginning of the movie, you know, that made the noise. So that, that's like her pen. Um, but she starts stabbing her hand, you know, to kind of basically, well, you'll find out sort of like later why she's doing all this, but you start seeing this thing now where she basically starts cutting herself essentially. And the store owner's like pleading with him to stop so he can get out of the back of the van. And he opens the back of the van telling the, the cops, you know, don't shoot. And they blow his brains out yeah, right there. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it was a good shot, too. Again, another one where the director's cut gets a little bit more, uh, like one or two seconds more of it. And, I mean, honestly, guys, when it comes to, like, special effects that are, like, 13 seconds long, like, trimming, like, five seconds off of that is a big deal. So, like, getting that five yeah. seconds back is is a big deal, too, you know? Yeah, and that's a great scene. It's <laughs> It's, 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 I love it. I love that scene. I laughed my ass off when it happened. I was like, oh shit, that's really fucked up, but really funny. Yeah, because it just pop, pops his brains. Uh, so, uh, Kurt is still driving, and Julie kind of is like, you know, she's like, oh, she you can tell she smells something. She goes into the back of the, <laughs> yeah, back yeah. to the van, right? Yep. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they basically pull down this alley. And the cops kind of drive by, and Kurt's like, what's that sound? And you hear, like, the nom-nom-nom-nom-nom-nom-nom, right? Like, there's, like, this – it's a very distinct brain-eating sound that I feel like all the Return of the Living Dead's use. And, and like, it's just – it's weird, like, it's its own distinct sort of sound, and it's very Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, totally. Um, But basically, Kurt sees what she's doing, and, you know, he's, of course – horrified and like you know how can you how can you do that or whatever uh and she's just feeling like terrible about everything and you know it's kind of like eating the brains kind of brings her back to reality or whatever yep um we don't know where they go but the cops kind of like they backtrack and they find the alley and they drive up to the the van uh one of the cops gets out he kind of circles around the van looking the other cop then gets out and goes towards the back uh doors and right when he's about to get to the back doors, the the owner, the store owner, bursts out. Looks great because, like, the top of – the whole cranial top of his head is, like, missing, and his brains are just, like, hanging out, right? They're just totally exposed. He almost has, like, a, a half a head. It almost looks like – oh, shoot, in the movie Hannibal. What's his name when he's eating his own brains in that movie? Oh, yeah. um, Ray Liotta or – Yeah, yeah, Ray yeah. Liotta. He almost kind of looks like Ray Liotta where he has like the top of his brains are sort of exposed. But he jumps out with like a crowbar <laughs> and stabs at one cop right in the eye yeah. and just like basically takes him down. And as the crowbar's in his eye, it's like his whole – the cop's body is shaking and twitching and the, the camera kind of pans down. It's a good and, shake and uh, twitch. Ra- it's good. Huh? It's a good shake and twitch. 
It it is, and uh, dude, I am I'm actually always freaked out by the twitching, like when someone gets like shot and they're like twitching. Ugh, I don't I don't like that at all. It's actually more disturbing to me uh, than you know other things. I, I don't like it, but I will say this: the R-rated version, you do not get to see the pipe kind of go into his eyeball, and they cut that completely. Basically, just he's on top of him essentially, and then he's twitching. Um, the 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 effect shot is so great, but I will say this. Just having the the twitching it, it was almost a bit more disturbing without seeing what had happened that I think it's actually scarier. This is one of the few times that was actually scarier in the R-rated version than oh. the unrated version. Cool. Although that being said, I still prefer the unrated version because I like seeing that go right into his head, you know? Yeah, yeah, but that but that's cool that, like, you know, something that was cut out intentionally worked. It actually, yeah, it actually worked here in, yeah. in this case. So that was that was kind of cool. And, you know, so, of course, like, the other cop sees this and is like, oh, shit, you know. Uh, he gets attacked. He tries to shoot, you know, the zombie. Of course, it doesn't do anything. Uh, he gets attacked, and he's kind of, like, fending the zombie off. But while that's happening, uh, the military show up, and, and they kind of, like, the containment unit, essentially. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of guys, you know, carrying the prototype gun. Uh, Colonel uh, Reynolds is, is with them, and they shoot the the store owner, uh, zombie and they basically you know are they're containing it right now and they don't know where his son went because the, it's a dead end so they're like looking around like where where could he be and i love how the dad colonel reynolds is like sort of standing at the front of the truck looking at the dead end sign and wondering where they are and then the camera like pans down by his foot and the manhole cover is sliding back into I know. place yeah and i was like if like filmically it's a good shot and it tells you what you need to know. But in reality, you're like, but the dad would have heard that, that, you know, yeah. like the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would have heard that. It's, he's literally like, like four inches away from it. Yeah. I, I even said, yeah, I said the same thing. I'm like, uh, I think he would have heard that. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty fucking obvious right there. But I mean, it works as a film thing, but it just, it didn't, doesn't work in reality, unfortunately. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. What's up, guys? I'm Tess. And I'm Corey. And we are the ongoing comic book discussion podcast, the place where one guy and one gal dive into the world of comic books one adventure at a time. That's right. You can find us every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any of your favorite podcatchers. So come check out OCD Podcasts, where comic books are cool. Cool. Hello! 
la la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. Hey, this is Brent. And I'm Eric. And we are part of the Friday Five Podcast. Yes, sir. We cover everything from the 80s to today. We absolutely do. You can find us every other Friday on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Like any. iTunes? Like Stitcher. Oh, man. This Maybe a little Spotify. Hey, and also check us out on Instagram. Absolutely. So come hang out. I think you'll have a lot of fun, and we will see you there. Yeah, bring your Proton Pack and your Ecto Cooler. And maybe some McNugget Bugs. And now, back to the show. So now, Kurt and Julie are basically like in the sewers. Uh, you know, we got a little some exposition going on. Uh, Julie's obviously upset about eating brains. Uh, and she starts like stabbing her arm with a rusty spring. She yeah. says that the Ugh. pain makes uh, helps... I know, I know. That's this is the one that freaks me out the most. The rusty spring that she kind of intertwines into her forearm or whatever it is. Ugh. I just think as a kid too. Like I was always, I was, uh, I was always grossed out by something piercing flesh, and so, in the fact that it's a rusty spring makes it even worse because she's twisting it around, and you're like, what the fuck? Oh, God, what are you doing? Oh God, I know, I know, dude. And in this whole movie, like, if you don't like piercings, it's just at this point moving forward, it's going to be nothing, pretty much nothing but piercings. Yeah, yeah, t- um, totally. Yeah, but uh, of course, I mean, you know, Kurt's young. They're both young. You got to remember they're young here, so they get in kind of like a fight. You know, Kurt's like, you know, you're disgusting and whatnot, and I, I, I that you know, he shouldn't have said that. She gets upset and she basically runs off. He runs after her, and they're kind of like near the L.A. River, essentially. Uh, actually, it all kind of filmically. Um, it actually makes sense where they're filming and then where they sort of like end up. That's actually pretty adjacent to each other. Cause you know, in these movies, you and I like, especially if you lived in LA, you're always like, Oh, like in tough turf, remember in tough turf where he like basically goes from the Valley, but he could by way of Santa Monica, you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. For for those of us local LA locals, this is not going to cut it. But this one actually does. This one actually makes, makes sense. Yeah, no, I in this one I was like, okay, yeah, no, that's cool, and it, the the river looked really beautiful too. Yeah, yeah what actually had water in it? Yeah, like <laughs> for once, how they how they how they pipe that shit in? Seriously, seriously. Um, then you got kind of get uh, glimpses of of this homeless man sort of like watching them because you know Kurt's yelling for her and all this kind of stuff, and um, she. Basically, he goes up to her on on this bridge. She's like, you know, off of like like the Seventh Street Bridge or something like that. Um, it's all downtown LA. Yeah, and she's he's like, I liked you the way you were, you know. And she's like, Well, I can't, you know, go back to that. And honestly, come on, Kurt, that was the worst thing you could have said to her. You know, she's not going back. You're the one that did this. Don't say to her that you liked yeah. her the way she was. I'm before. like, Kurt, Kurt, you're being a little bitch right now. You're 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 bitching he, out. Like you've already was. thrown up. You've thrown up. Your fucking uh, girlfriend broke. She's dead, and she's not throwing up. 
you're the one throwing <laughs> up over here like a little bitch. And and now you're like, nah, I don't, uh, I don't think I, to, I wish I, I think I want to turn this back to the way it was supposed the other way. No, dude. Sorry. Well, welcome to the really real world. You can't turn back time. Nope. Nope. So she jumps <laughs> off the bridge, goes right into the Whee! sink. Uh, <laughs> woo! <laughs> I should say right into the drink, not the sink. Um, and uh, so, you know, Kurt basically climbs down to where she fell in. And, you know, she, he's yelling for her. But, but the homeless guy now is sort of like, you know, pursuing him and goes up to her, to Kurt, which I, I love Riverman in this movie. Riverman's great. Yeah. So so now basically Riverman is, is in the picture. He comes up to Kurt and he, he tells this great story about how, uh, you know, he was like, she looked like she wanted to jump. I saw a bunch of men floating down a river one time and that river just came up like an anaconda and ate him. It's a... I, I'm telling the story stupidly, and it kind of sounds like I'm making fun of it, but I actually really like Riverman in this movie, and I like the story he tells about the the river and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and the whole time, like, Kurt's, like, yelling, like, screaming for Julie, and, like, you know, Riverman will say something, and he, like, I, I like the beats where, like, Kurt, like, stops for a second, and then he's like, Julie! You know, he's, like, freaked out. But um, you said you wanted to to talk about Riverman when we got to him. Yeah, well, first I was going to say, because D- Diallo was watching it with me, and, and he goes, you know, normally I would say that this is kind of a borderline racist cliche, uh, <laughs> you know, black guy who's, like, you know, just kind of pontificating. He goes, but no, this this actually, this works. He's he's doing a really good job. This is this is a, this is a cool scene. Like I, I like I like the Riverman. Like yeah, actually Riverman's like maybe my favorite part of this whole movie. And and, and I'm and I'm like I know this guy from somewhere. Where is he from? He was the lead villain in Marked for Death. Uh, one of the like the like Rastafarian mm-hmm. uh, syndicate or whatever that <laughs> battles Steven yep. Seagal. And I'm like oh yeah, he was great in that. And he's really good in this. He's really good in I, this. He steals. The I knew show. you were going to say marked marked for death. Of that's course, where I knew yeah. you were going to say that's where's from. <laughs> I mean, I, like I, he's been in other stuff too, but that I am such a such a to, to to use a wrestling term. I'm such a mark for action movies and uh, especially Steven Seagal and Jean Claude Van Damme back during that time. That was like the that was the highlight. That was the high point of their career. So. Um, and that Mark for Death is a cool movie. It's a fun. That, that's one of his better B movies, uh, in my opinion. But yeah, seeing him in this, and I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's cool. Okay, and I liked his whole look. He, he's just overall like T to B. Yeah, he's got a cool yep. gimmick, and uh, the whole thing with the coin that's coming up pretty soon is like a nice little, you know, uh, yeah, d- d- like nice little tag on there. So yeah, River Man is is is. Uh, He's, he's tits for me. Two tits up from us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Way up. All right, so we cut back uh, really quick, back to the alleyway, essentially. Uh, the gang, they're driving their car, but they they see the, the military thing happening. They basically see the aftermath of, uh, you know, of that whole... You know, what we just saw with uh, Kurt and Julie eating the the store owner's brains, you know, that whole thing, that that whole thing. They they see that, basically. They drive by. And the gang, they're basically looking for Julie and Kurt because uh, we didn't – I didn't mention it earlier, but – 
Julie bit one of the gang members during the scuffle of the convenience store clerk when or the owner of the store got shot. Uh, she bit one of the guys in that, in that scuffle. So now he's not doing good in the back of the car. That was her first taste. Yes, that was actually her, her first taste. So I think that's where she started kind of figuring out where to where to go with it. Um, but she's, he's not looking good in the back. The The girl in the gang's kind of comforting that that guy. I think and his name was um, Mogo. Mogo. Yeah, Mogo. And I, yeah, and, and, <laughs> and it's only because of the subtitles that I that I saw that. Yeah, me right? too. Because that's actually not even what he's listed as. Oh, really? In the, yeah, on IMDb, weirdly enough. So um, it, it actually... I've I found out doing this show and other podcasts that watching things with the subtitles on, you actually learn a lot more about things for like some I, reason. I started I started using subtitles when uh when Bodie was born because we didn't want the T V to be too loud because we didn't want to wake him. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, I can't I can't watch a thing without subtitles nowadays. Like <laughs> yeah, I know. So when, when we watch the executioner, I'm like, wait, there's no subtitles. Oh no. I actually got to like listen. How how weird is it that 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 a DVD or a Blu-ray doesn't have subtitles? Come on. Uh, and actually um uh Adam and I just um recorded an episode of Cartwright. Uh Cartwright a Seinfeld podcast for those of you who don't know, is a weekly Seinfeld podcast that I do and we just recorded season 3 the limo episode and it has Suzanne Snyder in it from Return of the Living Dead 2 fame. Hello. So I kind of did a little cross uh, cross plug promotion, but there was a joke in that episode that Adam did not get, and I never would have gotten if I didn't have the subtitles on. And it was a scene where uh, George Costanza was was whistling, and he's with like these neo-Nazis, and Jerry kind of smacks him to stop whistling. If you don't watch the subtitles and you don't know the tune, I just assume Jerry smacked him because he was whistling. But he's actually George is actually whistling a, a tune from um, Fiddler on the Roof, and... It said that in the oh, subtitles, like I was like, oh, so it was one of those moments where I never would have gotten that joke if I didn't have the subtitles on. So like you, I've gotten really used to watching things with subtitles on uh, like, was was a roundabout way of saying that. Basically, it, it's funny because people are like, oh, that's what old people do. No, that's what smart people do. <laughs> well, we're both old and smart. Yes. So. Yes. Uh, all right. So. <laughs> Basically, the gang is in hot pursuit. Um, they know where that alley leads. They actually know that at the end of that alley is a drain system, and that it's going to lead to the to the basically down to the L.A. River. They know this, and the military doesn't at this point know that. So they, you know, they decide they're going to go, you know, do their thing, their gang thing, right? So back down in the river, uh, Kurt. And Riverman kind of finds Julie's body, and she's, you know, she's, like, face down, you know, in the water, essentially. And, you know, Riverman's like, well, she's dead, you know. And he's like, no. Kurt's like, no, that's impossible. Uh, she can't be dead. Um, you know, it's 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 impossible. He, he doesn't say she's a zombie, but he just says that, basically, it, it's impossible. Yeah. And uh, basically, Kurt and Julie share a moment when she sort of comes back. You know, uh, he tells her he can't live without her, which, you know, sets up, basically, later on and everything. Um, 
while they're having their little moment, the gang kind of finds them, but they're like on the other side of the river with their car. So they kind of can't get to uh, uh, Kurt and Julie and the river man because uh, just they're blocked by the river. Essentially, they're on the other side of it. But, you know, they're yelling and everything. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the river man basically says, you know, he'll he'll take care of them and, and basically shows Julie and Kurt into the sewers and into, into the safety of the sewers. Basically, he takes him to the pump room. He, he does take him to the, to the pump room, baby. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> It is. It is. It's a. It's an awesome little fort. That's for sure. Yeah, dude. Uh, uh, back up on on top side, basically on the, on the street. Uh, the colonel finds out uh, that they went into the sewers. Um, so he's like, okay, so he knows where to go. And basically, someone reports back. And they're like, ah, this this leads to blah blah blah. And he's like, okay. But right then and there, Sinclair shows up and tells tells them that basically he's been relieved of his duties. Um, and she upgrades the search party to indiscriminate containment. Which you know, before that, you know, he was trying to basically he was telling everybody, you know, don't hurt my son. Essentially, you know, uh, yeah, whatever happens, just don't hurt my son. But the dad, you know, dad's basically like, fuck this. He takes the special gun and goes after his son with, like, his kind of, like, his small cadre of, of containment unit guys. And, you know, you would think that the military would stop him, you know, because he's relieved of his duties yeah. and this and that. But they don't. They're just like, okay, go after your son. Yep. The military's always been inept in all three of these movies, so it's no surprise there. Pretty much. <laughs> they, you could almost say that they are the antagonists of of this of these hmm, movies, aren't they? All right, so burning through, burning through, pulling up a new page in the sewers. Uh, the homeless man. He, I, I still wrote him down as a homeless man. Uh, he hasn't revealed his name yet, but uh, we know it's Riverman. Um, he basically leads them into his little pump room house. Uh, you know, he, he's being very cool with them, and they're getting like some little bit of exposition and stuff. You know, he's building up a rapport with them, and like even like you know gives Julie like allows Julie to be lay on the bed and you know uses covers and stuff. You know, he's being a cool dude, but I like that he's like a lot of times with these with homeless people. You know, you always want to make this this the one homeless person be good, right? Like this is the good homeless person. But then, you know, then they talk normally and everything. But you and I know living in L.A., homeless people are crazy. And I feel like Riverman did a good job of talking like a homeless person. Like he he rode that line. You know what I mean? Like he felt trustworthy. But at the same time, he also feels like someone who probably doesn't have communication with people. I think the theme of this of this entire movie is everyone just does their job really well, actor-wise. Like, all the actors just do their job in this film. And I think that that's, should be commended here. I think he does a fantastic job, Riverman. He's fun to watch in every scene. Yeah, I, you know, up until this point, my minor complaints are, you know, maybe the scale being a little small. Um, you know, some of the, some of the, the supporting... You know, minor characters are, are are little hokey, and the in the and some of the lines are a little a little cheesy. Uh, in the in the music, I like I I really miss having like a Richard Band score uh, from you know Brian Usna's other classic films, but um, but I didn't mind. I that didn't bother me overall. Like these are like things that and I kept saying that to Diallo. I'm like, I know this is kind of a this is like a low budget B movie. But I'm okay with that. Like, it's not bugging me. I, I'm actually kind of going along for the ride. Like, uh, I mean, I, I I squirmed more in this 
with her self-mutilation scenes that self-mutilation is just like so hard to watch. Oh, bro, the, the, the one scene that made me squirm the most is when she steps on the glass. Oh, yeah, dude. And just like, oh, man. I mean, I don't I we talked about this with Zach Ward on our Patreon exclusive interview. <clears throat> uh, but uh, <laughs> it's really good. But, uh, you know, the, the, the like the torture porn, how we're not a fan of that, uh, like yeah. hostile and. You know, I, you know, I know Saw has like all the gimmicks and all that, but there's still a level of like torture. That's still a torture type movie. Uh, this, this didn't feel like that, but it's still hard to watch when anyone's ever cutting themselves or like. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's it's it helps because in this. There is one hundred percent a reason why she's oh, doing yeah. it. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not. It's not gore for gore's sake. It's not. Tor- it's not torture porn because, like in no. those movies, like Hostel and whatnot, torture porn, like that's like just people getting fucked up for no reason. That's that's the the exploitation of it. Yep. Here, there's a reason for it, and yeah, it's uncomfortable to, to watch. But she's doing it so that she doesn't eat her boyfriend's brains, essentially. Yeah, and to to control herself the only way she knows how and. Yeah, it's 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 really it's I'm with you. It's uncomfortable, but the fact that it's actually like plot specific makes it better than if it were just for the sake of being gruesome. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, and and hats off to to the writers and the director and and you know, everybody like everybody involved was was trying trying their absolute best and it's obvious. It feels that way. Yeah. It, yes, yeah. I com- everything you said so far, I completely agree. I think I think you and I are on for the <laughs> for well. I mean, that happens a lot, like with the thing and whatnot. But uh, you and I are definitely on the same page with this movie. Well, I feel. So. I think I think the the difference though between like this and Cyborg and um, like yeah, between this and Cyborg is 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 uh, this didn't go off the rails, and you didn't hear any stories about like you know, a prima donna actor in the movie wanting to reshoot the scenes uh, to, to benefit his own likeness, you know? Right. And, and if you don't know what we're talking about, you should go back and listen to our cyborg episode. And I, you know, and I love that person that I'm referring to, but this movie was just like, and, and even digging into the trivia and the, 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 the details of this movie, you can't really find anything where they're like, oh, this person couldn't stand working on this set. And, uh, oh, oh, you know, there was a lot of issues with this blah, 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 blah. That's why this, you know, it would, overall it's like, no, this was like a decent, everything worked yeah. smooth. Everything was, everything that you see on screen was like pretty much the way it was supposed to go down. That's what, uh, that was my takeaway too, listening to the interview and everything. It just... It seems to me that just Brian Usena just knows how to go bing, bing, bing and just knock something out, right? Like he's he's a very efficient director. Um, and then maybe, you know, the fact that they, that they had such a short shooting schedule of like 20 some days, you know, you don't have time for prima donnas at that point. If, if you're going to be a prima donna, get the hell out of here. We don't we do, we do not have time. You yeah. know, this is this is a small budget. So um, we get a really this is probably like one of the best like exchanges between Riverman and Kurt, but uh, basically Kurt's like, "Hey man, you know, like uh, I'm never gonna be real to repay you." First off, he's like, ha, ha, "You know, what, what's your name?" And and he says, "Riverman," and he's like, "I'm never gonna be able to repay you." You know, like like I just want to say thank you. And Riverman gives him a Mardi Gras uh, coin. He's like, "If anyone, basically, pay it forward. If anyone ever needs help." 
uh, just just help them out and then give them this coin and tell them what I told you. And he's like, as long as this coin is being circulated, good, basically good is happening in the world. And I was like, that was such like a powerful thing uh, cool. in, in such a such a low budget B zombie movie. And it's actually like has this like moment of just pure heart and everything uh, again. Yeah, it just it's so good. It's just good. You know, it's just like that was a good little moment. And the you know, the actor who played Riverman just did his job. He did it well. Uh, you know, Kurt, you know, it's just it's the scene is sold. And and the heart of the heart of the movie kind of like is right there. And all these actors pulling off these little moments of, yeah. of goodness, essentially. We find out that, you know, outside the, the gang is basically making their way through the sewers, looking for Kurt and Julie. And the one friend Mogo is is not doing well. He's getting worse and worse, which we know what the end result's going to be, having seen the other two movies. Yeah, Mogadishu uh, is, uh, is, is biting the dust. <laughs> And and, <laughs> and I'm like I'm like you know what, if the character was a little more fleshed out, uh, if if maybe he was a little bit more well known, I might have more sympathy for him. But at this point, I really don't like this dude. You know, uh, the reason why the store owner is dead is their it's it's their fault in a way. You know, yeah. uh, th- these guys are not like redeemable characters in in a time when there was not gray characters you know what i'm saying like now everybody's yeah. a great character i do something i do something horrible and and but i make up for it later and there's kind of an explanation as to why i did that then these are guys are like hey you want to see them all get killed yeah these are these are just the bad guys these yeah. are your your typical goons yeah but I think the reason they do get elevated to, to a little better than what they should be is because of the actors. All the actors yes. in the roles are do a great job, especially Santos. I think mean, he's just fun. He's always fun. Yep. Um, we get a little scene of basically uh, Kurt, you know, comforts Julie in, in the pump room. Uh, River, basically, Riverman, like, kind of leaves them be. He's going to go watch out in, in the main sewer area and kind of, like, watch over them, essentially. Um, you, Julie starts freaking out that she can't pretend anymore, and she kind of, like, moves away from, from Kurt. And doing so, she steps on a piece of broken glass. Ugh. As I'm saying it, I'm literally rubbing my foot because uh, it goes into her heel. Oh, God. It, it just, oh, God, it looked painful. So, but, she, yeah. yeah. To, to her, feeling pain it was actually a good thing because she's essentially numb that's her that's her problem yeah i stepped on a i'm not joking i stepped on a rusty nail Uh, when i was uh uh. when i was uh like maybe six or seven years old it was the first time i ever remember getting a tetanus shot because i had to go get one uh i was in some kid's basement in michigan in uh this kid adam and uh no relation to your buddy adam and uh (laughs) and so i remember like the pain of that and 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 just excruciating and I, I totally flash back when i watched this scene i was like oh god that it's not a good it's not a good look <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it's it sucks it sucks but like she kind i think it kind of like kind of tells like i think this at this point is when she's like okay i know what to do now because the stepping on the 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 glass kind of shook her out of it. So she took the glass out and kind of puts it through her hand. And I know that one's painful too. And then starts like basically making out with Kurt in bed with her, with her bloody hand, you know, like he doesn't see it sort of thing, the way it's shot. I know that was not supposed to like see it. Yeah. But it's like, Oh God, it looks so, all of it looks so painful. (laughs) Yeah. And and let's not forget the fact that she fell into like the LA river, which is a sewer. You know, yeah, and it's, it's sewer. not clean water necessarily. 
And so he's like making out with her and like, man, this girl is like, she's a, she's a rat now at this point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Oh, speaking of, by the way, in, um, the Blu-ray, when they are driving through downtown LA at the very first shot, uh, there's like a cop behind him. The cop kind of like pulls away to the left while they're sort of driving away in the Blu-ray. You can see the biggest fucking rat scurrying down the sidewalk. And, and it's like, it looks like a fucking cat, but you know, it's not a cat. It's a fucking rat. And I'm like, it's not like set dressing. Like it's just there in downtown LA. I was like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> no, he's like, I'm just trying to get a pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we see the gang wandering through the sewers. Uh, now we see the Colonel and his men kind of are going into the sewers too, you know? So, so there's like a pursuit thing going on. Uh, we cut back to Kurt is asleep in bed, you know, presumably they had sex or whatever, but then you don't really see what Julie's doing, but she's like, she's basically starting to, to cut herself and sort of transform into, I call her mega Julie, but she's like doing, you don't, and by what I mean is you don't see like what the full outcome is, but you see all these little shots of her cutting her legs of sticking things in here and there, put the fleshy parts of pushing, herself, pushing scissors up in through her hand and it comes out the other side. Oh God. Some fantastic prosthetics. Yeah. Like, like things are going into her fingers and, and things are going into her palms and you can tell when it's a fake hand versus when it's a, not a fake hand, like an actual real hand. They, this is, um, this is some prosthetic work at uh, very good prosthetic work right here. In, yeah. in this movie, I was going to say they get their due at the end credits where, all the people involved with the special effects are like highlighted at the end, which I think is really cool. By the way, that's a really awesome, um, respectful thing to do. And I've never seen that done in a movie before or since, but I, they, you know, they kind of go down everybody involved. The only name that kind of popped out to me was, uh, Steve Johnson and Steve Johnson. He, he, he did a lot of mainstream work in films like, species which has got phenomenal effects yeah uh, blade 2 which personally is my favorite of the blade series oh dude but blade 2 i i'm actually not a big fan of the blade series yeah but blade 2 is like one of my favorite like movies from that time frame so it's like i mean it's guillermo del toro of course but i can legit watch blade 2 anytime and yep. love it but i never watch blade 1 or 3 ever blade 1 has its moments that i think uh especially the rave scene in the beginning but uh but blade 2 i think is it's 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 like the aliens of the blade franchise uh yeah. but yeah he did that he he worked on the abyss uh which oh, okay. which was again you know, ph- phenomenal effects. But one of my favorites he worked on was uh, Fright Night. Nice. He, nice, he, dude. He was the one that designed the uh, the uh, the wolf, like the, the wolf makeup, uh, just the Jerry Dandridge. Like, he was the guy. He, he did the main effects uh, for Fright Night. So this affects makeup to that point i didn't know exactly who he was but as the credits were playing i kind of got up to go get some food or something and i looked back and i saw steve johnson and i did a double take i was like what what oh really oh and then another favorite of ours big trouble in little china you know it's so the guy the guy's the guy's a legend and uh, yeah and, and it's 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 clear in this movie as repulsive as her big group you know transformation is and disturbing like you said it's contextually it makes total sense she's masking 
the hunger with the with the pain and it, yeah it's really hard to watch but the the payoff is very fulfilling yeah and uh at this point iconic like she's almost like an iconic zombie movie like you could you could show a picture of of julie mega julie uh to somebody <laughs> and without saying like what movie this is and they would the person would probably like at least recognize the image of it right yeah. like her she's so iconic at this point with the franchise and just like sort of 90s horror in general so yeah i think i like like you i think the payoff at the end is 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 definitely worth it but i have just as hard time watching it as you do it Definitely. Oh, God, it looks so painful. Yes. But uh, all right. Things are starting to ramp up here. So the gang essentially comes across Riverman. He's he's sleeping. Unfortunately, not the best guard, but uh, he's sleeping outside the door. And basically, Santos kind of starts roughing him up and, and wake up, Kaka. Wake up, Kaka. And he starts like dunking his head in the water and, you know, Riverman screaming. So Kurt, that, that wakes up Kurt. And then Kurt basically comes out the door swinging and, and hits uh, Felipe in this, like, in the stomach and then knocks him back. And then, like, uh, you know, uh, Santos picks out and takes out his gun and he kind of, like, yeah. hits, hits. He's, he's doing his thing, man. He's, he's like, you know, Kurt's doing, he's doing some work right here. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, unfortunately, he kind of gets, uh, uh, Santos kind of, like subdues him you know so he, he kind of pushes you know uh kurt down he's got a gun against him and everything and uh at this point here we go julie comes out of the door and she is just she's full-on mega julie she is just got all the pieces in she comes out like almost like a snake and like unslithers in the doorway yeah. it's a it's a really cool physical physical performance by melinda clark and and when she's in full-on uh mega julie mode it's it's really really cool so santos tells felipe to kind of like he's felipe is now the one holding the gun and keeping kurt down and santos kind of walks up to julie with the knife and he's like you know um you know he's i don't think you're sick at all i think i think you're just my type you know he's being sleazy he likes her new look you know so he try, he's trying to get like sort of friendly with her and so they kind of like go back into the the pump room riverman's you know sort of home and the door closes uh riverman tries to escape but felipe shoots him like sort of in the leg mogo is is just he's not doing good at all and he essentially like dies with the girl holding him like basically the the, the girl gang girl member yeah. holding him he kind of dies there we hear screaming from behind the door it's santos uh screaming and julie now opens the door and walks out holding santos's like neck spine so picture this we all know Sub-Zero's fatality from Mortal Kombat 1, where he basically rips off your head with your spine, right? Now, what if, instead of ripping it all the way off where the head and the spine were just hanging in his hand, he just kind of stopped halfway? Yeah. That's exactly what happened to Santos. Like, yes. she basically went to rip his head off, but she kind of, like, stopped. So now his head is dangling, <laughs> like, you know, a foot longer than it should be, and it's all bones. And it looks fan-fucking-tastic. Oh, it and looks she's awesome. basically dragging him by his neck bones not just by like his neck and yeah. it looks just fucking awesome i i love it dude i love it yeah what's gonna happen in in, in, a, in a, another scene or so with that specific uh spine i'm like oh i didn't know spines could sit up straight up right like that 
I know, I know that that one's fun. I like that. I like everything that happens essentially to Santos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so of course, uh, Felipe, Felipe tries to shoot her, and it it doesn't do anything. Of course, and she just like shanks him in the stomach with this blade that's kind of sticking through the palm of her hand. Yeah. Like like picture scissors. If scissors were going through the back of your hand and then the point where where we're like in the palm of it, and she just like guts him. She's like. Just, just sticks him and then hits him in the back of the head with like a rock. Very, very good. Very brutal. And then while he's like on the ground, she bites his lower lip and rips his lower lip off, revealing like his lower, you know, uh, teeth and, and chin bone and everything. And that absolutely is something that was cut from the rated R version. She kind of bends down. You hear something, but you don't see the rip. Here you actually see Ugh. the tear. Yeah, I love. Actually, this was one of my second or third favorite kind of death kill scene. Yeah. It's so like just the idea of pulling that off and (laughs) so gross. Yeah. It's so, it's so good again. It's, and I, I think, I think Brian Usna, like to your point of having like uh, giving all the special effects guys and gals, uh, their due at the end, listening to his, his interview on the Blu-ray, I think he has a very high respect for the special effects industry, and yeah. he specifically likes to make movies that are special effects heavy. So you know that he works very closely with with those people. So I, oh, I think yeah. he has a very high regard for them. Which, truthfully, because they the effects in this movie are great, Com- especially compared to uh, Return of the Living Dead Two. The effects in this movie are absolutely fantastic. The girl tries to get away by climbing up the ladder. This is this is the one that gets me the most. So Julie basically takes that same blade and then slices down the girl's thigh. That's the one that I hate the most. I'm always like, Oh fuck. Yeah. So like, so like basically the girl can't get away. And as she's like, you know, gets basically has to can't go up the ladder. So she's got to go back down. And then Mogo basically rises up at this point and, and, you know, attacks her and uh, Riverman, because he only got shot in the leg, he's, like, telling Kurt, like, let's get into the, the pump room. And Julie can't come. It's just Kurt. You know, Kurt's like, but, you know, Julie has to come. And then Santos starts to rise up with his with his not severed head, but just, like, detached head. <laughs> yeah, kind detached of, like, head. not hanging, but, like, rising up. It's it's very freaky looking and, and very, very cool. So they all, but they all decide to go into the room. You know, obviously Riverman's like, come on, you know. As Santos is coming up to the door, they start basically boarding up the door from the inside. You always got to have a, a scene in one of these movies where you're trying to board up, uh, board everything up. Yep. Uh, we get a quick shot of the colonel pursuing su- through the sewers. So that way, you know that he's like still in hot pursuit. Um, Julie wants to kind of be tied up because she, she can feel herself being changed. All kinds of stuff's happening right now. Right. Uh, uh, they start like. Basically, they start breaking through the door. The zombies on the outside. Now, the gang members are all zombies. And I love the fact that Santos sticks his head his head through the door. And because he almost has, like, a draft head now because of his neck, he can actually, like, get it in there, you know? Hi. And, I, and I, love his, I love his eyes. He just he looks so evil and maniacal, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, 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 the, the effects look great. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and you know, whether it's... Uh, 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 it's clearly a uh, robotic head or whatever that they used. It, it, it looks like him, you know, and it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. 
it's menacing, but it's 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 kind of evil deadish. It does a perfect thing where it's it's scary, but it's also fun, and you're like, yeah. oh, that's cool, you know. I it's yeah. Uh, I think that's the theme of the whole movie is that uh, all the gags in this movie are just really fun. Yeah. I really just enjoy them. And uh, it makes me want to just watch some like gonzo style horror movies with like splattery stuff, you know? Of course, uh, I, I can't remember if it was Kurt or, or Riverman, but somebody hits, you know, Santos's head and, and thus it detaches essentially, you know, the spine. It breaks the spine and, uh, you know, knocks it into the room uh, essentially. But then um, the Riverman does knock like the steam pipe, you know, and, yeah. and so steam is like kind of spraying down on the zombies. And of course, it's like burning them, melting their flesh a little bit. So they're going to be even more gnarly. And, uh, you know, Kurt's like, you take Julie and get out of here to Riverman. He's like, well, how, how can you get out of here? Riverman says, you know, there's a way out back. There's a ladder. He's like, Julie, take Julie, go. You know, Kurt's like, you know, uh, Riverman's like, no. But, you know, Kurt's like, I-, I can be faster. I'll catch up to you. I'll hold them off as long as I can, and I'll catch up to you. The I'll zombies are still, you. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, they're, they're still trying to get in. Um, So he's like, so Riverman agrees, you know, and he, he does his thing. So he goes running off with, with Julie and uh, uh, basically Kurt tries to fight off the zombies as they're breaking through. And, but they, you know, they eventually essentially get through. And then we got this, you know, got a little scene of, of Kurt, you know, hiding in there, trying to get away from the zombies. They're sort of pursuing them and everything. And yeah, it's a fun little scene. Like, I feel like they're hitting all these little beats. You got, you got the, you know, the, when the house gets attacked by zombies, you got the boarded up walls. Yeah. They're, they're hitting all these little beats and especially in the last like like you know third of the film they're they're really ramping up the action and it's a fun little scene and eventually uh kurt sort of like you know dupes them and and runs behind like these furnace thingies or something and catches up to uh uh riverman and julie and we find that julie is munching on riverman's brains i know god damn it riverman why you gotta go? Damn it, Julie! Why you gotta go, Riverman? I know. Yeah, I was really bummed out about that. Me too, dude. Because he was he was nice to them. We like we liked him, and but that it shows that she's just fully lost control of herself because she even attacks uh, Kurt, and Kurt kind of has to hit her with a pipe, which makes her sort of like regain who she is. Yep. So like she's now losing control basically of of her cognitive functions as her as her brain is dying. Yeah, she's blowing it. She's blowing it. Yeah. She's gone. She's gone at this point. She's getting there, basically. So, Julie attacks Kurt. You know, but he hits her, like I just said. And uh, now, essentially, he's got, like, her in front of him, sort of. But she's, like, subdued. But, you know, how long is that going to be? But now he's got zombies behind him. He's totally just uh, screwed at this point. And lo and behold, Dad comes running in to save the day. He shoots the zombies that are basically going to attack Kurt. The the bad ones, he shoots them with the special gun, so they're all knocked out. And then, like, the big emotional beat of this whole thing is Julie is, she's regained her consciousness, so she's she's Julie at this point, yeah. um, even though she's zombie Julie. And, you know, Kurt knows that, but his dad's like, get away from her, get away from her, and, you know... The painful part of it is, is that Kurt does. He he moves away from Julie to give his dad the clean shot, and Dad takes it. And then you know this is like the 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 heartbreaking moment, you know, uh, essentially because you know their their love is is over, uh, or at least we think so. You know, it's the low point. It's the lowest point for the for the characters. It's well done though. It's it's believable too because I don't know. It, it's it's a good scene. It's it's uh it's dramatic. 
Yeah. No, again, everything works. Everything works here. It's just, it's a smaller story. Like you said, it's not as grand as some of the other Return of the Living Dead movies, um, but it's a smaller story, but everything inside of it works. Yeah. And and all the actors, all the beats, it, it really does. And it moves very, very briskly because now we're, we're basically in the, in the last 10 minutes of the movie. I was kind of tracking the time. I was surprised uh, that this, the last, um, you know, back at the, at the base is really only like, 10 minutes left of the movie yeah dude so it's it's almost like the it's almost like the denouement it's almost like this was the climax and that's almost like the the denouement afterwards yeah honestly i feel like they could have ended the film um in the next five minutes but it's cool how they also ended it as well like if they would have ended it right there and like had a downbeat ending i would have been okay with that yeah, it would have been it would have been fun and everything. This little bit at the end is just added more funness, you know, a yep. little bit of uh, more funness. So we're back at the base. Kurt and his dad are kind of like having a heart to heart, and I like their relationship. You know, the dad. It's it's all about letting go of of the per- the people you love. You know, he's like, you got to let her go. It was hard for me to let your mom go, and 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 also based on the documentary. Uh, the writer, uh, Penny, I, I keep forgetting his first name, but his last name, I believe, uh, P-E-N-N-E-Y. I think you pronounce that Penny. He said, I think he just was dealing with the loss of his dad. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like the theme, all the themes of this movie are basically like letting go of the people that you lost, uh, essentially. And, um, you know, so the, the dad's kind of had having a heart to heart with Kurt. And, uh, you know, Kurt asks what's going to happen to Julie and dad doesn't know because it's, it's a Sinclair's operation now. And, yep. you know, she's the one that wants to do the exosuits. Um, so we kind of like, <laughs> it's a little weird because like the dad, Colonel, Ren- uh, Colonel Reynolds is talking to like Colonel Sinclair with like Colonel Peck and in the hallway and, you know, uh, Kurt kind of just left to his own devices to just wander off. But he doesn't do it without them seeing him because uh, Sinclair walks by him. So it's they're kind of <laughs> giving him a lot of free reign in here. Yeah, I'm like, wait, wait, do you just let him wander off? Okay, shit. Yeah, it's it's really, I thought that was a little bit weird. But again, it's yeah. like, okay, knowing that there's only like 10 minutes left, like we kind of like have to, uh, you know, just, I can see that the, they were just like, fuck it, just have him walk around. You know, yeah. why not? At this point, what more trouble could he get in? You know, well, I'm about to find out he actually can get in more trouble. (laughs) Uh, um, So he kind of like wanders into like this like operating room uh, where like all the zombie, the gang zombies are kind of like in cages and, you know, Julie's in a cage too. But like all the other gang zombies are like screaming and rattling their cages. But, you know, Julie's kind of just sort of cowering because, you know, she's she's different. And then. Uh, we see um, we see Sinclair kind of putting Riverman into one of these exoskeletons, and we find out that the exoskeleton is getting like drilled like yeah. onto them, and it looks painful. Like he's screaming the entire time, and I'm like, oh my god, that looks he he's selling it. The actor is selling yeah. it. It seems painful as hell, and it just it just seems terrifying. It seems you know what it seems it seems inhumane. It seems unethical and inhumane. But these. You know, looking at it from a military standpoint, these creatures are dead. They're just reanimated husks. So who, you know, who cares? But you know, they do. There is a there is a quick mention of like Julie 
kind of the fact that she came back with her faculties kind of is bringing into question like everything that they're doing. Do these zombies have like, uh, you know, internal things happening in their brain? Like, should we be treating them this way? But you know, that's not going to stop Sinclair from doing what she's going to do. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I love, I love the rig that they're using because, and again, I keep going back to the budget. I know it's, but, but with, with the devices that they had, it looks really cool. Yeah, it looks fantastic. It looks like, well, it, it looks like it it weighs uh, like eighty pounds, and it actually did weigh like eighty pounds. Yeah, uh, unfortunately for that for that actor having to to wear it, but right. you know sometimes sometimes you need uh, something to weigh to weigh things because whenever those metal doors close, those metal bars close, anytime the dad touches them, they move so easily. Yep. Uh, like, because they are made of, like, aluminum and weigh, like, nothing. Like, sometimes you can't fake weight. Like, you need something to actually weigh the what it's supposed to weigh so the actor can actually feel it. Uh, I'm sure if you ask the guy who played Riverman, he's, he would probably tell you, well, if they made it weigh less, I could still probably act it to be heavy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like you know there's like this other scientist in the room that's kind of talking to kurt and saying like oh you know he's kurt's like what's gonna happen to julie and he's like oh don't you know she's she's gonna be next basically for the exosuit he's like you're looking at the future of warfare right here uh you know exosuits powder powered by you know zombie batteries or something like that and he's having this little moment to gloat but um (laughs) uh you know kurt reaches down to just grab the the door to like like let julie out and you know science is like wait what are you doing and he punches them essentially and uh because of that because of that like like so sinclair is kind of like uh trying to she so so sinclair's like once she puts um riverman in the suit she's there's this like lever on the back that looks like really hard to pull but she's pulling down on it and it has to kind of go all the way down in in order to lock but now she's distracted because she like looks over because kurt you know makes you know punches that other scientist she doesn't fully lock the thing and uh, Riverman kind of is able to actually sort of break free. Now he's still stuck inside of his, of the suit, but he's able to sort of like now move. He kills one of the, the, the scientists. So there's, it's Sinclair and like two other nameless technicians that are in there with her. Yeah. And he kind of like hits one that kills him. And then he kind of hits the other one in the head and that kills him. And then he kind of throws, you know, Sinclair by, by her breasts. He grabs her breasts. <laughs> I noticed that. And and I and it wasn't like intentional because you could tell that the actor, the Riverman actor, couldn't turn his head, so he has to just sort of grab at the lady playing Sinclair, and it just happens to be her breasts. But uh, I was like, oh man, that looks painful <laughs> for Ursa. <laughs> So now Julie's out of the cage. Uh, you know, Kurt's kind of like kind of, you know, taking her out of the all the straps that she's kind of like strapped in the cage with uh, to keep her from, you know, keep her from getting free and everything. Uh, Riverman's running amok with his armor suit. Um, the other scientist uh, goes to grab a shotgun. And I like how when he pulls the shotgun out of its holster thing that's on the wall, it's it's automatically rigged so that the alarm goes off. And I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. That makes, you know, fully logical logical sense yeah and although i will say when when that that doctor tries to like aim and shoot at riverman like he's got the worst fake i can't shoot because i'm scared like you know what i mean like he i can't get a straight shot but he does shoot 
the river man's arm and it like it blows his forearm up like it blows the river man's forearm but his hand is still there because it's attached to the metal exosuit and so he still essentially has some kind of mobility and now you can see sort of what the exosuit does which it gives the zombies mobility even if they lose a limb or something the exosuit is still it's still standing him up essentially and you'll find out in a a couple minutes he's going to get his leg shot off and he doesn't fall from that because the exosuit's kind of like it keeps him together it just essentially it keeps him together but of course that shitty ass doctor can't get another good shot on the river man and kind of shoots this like power box you know next to him which you know that just is not going to do any good because no. you know that that power box is connected to the whole entire complex for some reason well, when <laughs> yeah when he shot that though i'm like was that because the, the way he's like holding the shotgun it's like he's flailing around he's just like yeah and that and that's what i mean like he sucked dude yeah like, he sucked like he you sucked. Got, I would imagine that every doctor on this base has military training. Like that was just, that was probably the worst. If, if, if the entire, this entire episode is our, our biggest takeaway is that every actor does a good job and they do their job in this movie. He is the one exception. He is that one character, that one actor that is just too over the top. That's just, it's just too stereotypical too on the nose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now, like, it, it's it's all dark after that doctor shoots the, you know, shoots the power box. And it was a really cool shot because out of the darkness comes Riverman, you know, and, and attacks him and kind of throws him. The guy loses his shotgun. Uh, Sinclair, you know, uh, uh, picks up the shotgun and shoots. And basically, she, she does some more damage on Riverman. She, like, blows up his leg or something. Yeah. And... He's like Riverman's kind of coming at her and he kind of like grabs onto her, knocking down some barrels, but she's able to sort of get her hand on that lever on the back and shut him down. But by doing so, he kind of does that last bit of movement and kind of knocks her into the barrels, you know, but now he's, he's essentially, you know, shut down, but now zombies are starting to come out of the barrels and it's one real cool shot of like this really long nailed zombies hand, like coming out of the barrels and grabs that one, like, like shrimpy scientist and sucks him into the barrel. I love that shot. Cause he's like screaming as he's getting like sucked into the barrel. And you know that he's just getting just chomped down on. <laughs> I actually, I like that. I thought his death was good. Yeah. I'm thinking, Oh yeah, this is uh it must have a really big mouth. Cause it's like engulfing his entire body. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Cause he, he goes in further than the actual barrel could be, but yeah. uh, I thought that was a part of the fun, you yeah. know, just to kind of figure out what was happening. But Julie and Kurt are trapped in the room. Uh, Kurt's trying to, you know, pulling on those metal bars. Those metal bars look like they don't weigh anything because I can see them moving in there, <laughs> to, to my point earlier. But uh, basically, Kurt gets the idea of turning the exosuit back on for Riverman. So he does. And, you know, Riverman sort of comes at him a little bit. But Kurt shows him the the Mardi Gras coin. He's like, you know, remember me? I'm Kurt. I'm your friend. You know, and so the Riverman remembers the Mardi Gras coin and he opens, uses his zombie strength that's enhanced by exosuit and opens the the door for them to to get out. And they they kind of run away. And so Riverman basically had his moment of redemption. Yep. But now Sinclair stands up and basically just starts blasting away at him with the shotgun. And it's really cool because she's like she's like essentially dismembering him to the point where he's slumped down and he's just like a 
top torso on yeah. just he's he's only being held together by all the metal pieces like that's the only thing holding him together he's like literally blown in half with all of his limbs just just destroyed and it's a really cool shot it's 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 very bloody and you know the the unrated version is, is much much better yeah and it it's I'm I'm feeling bad for Riverman because I love him so much and I'm like no Riverman just being decimated and but you know it's 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 just the way it's got to be yeah and and it is the saddest part because you know he he was kind of friendly to them and we loved him and I felt more for Riverman than probably anybody in Return of the Living Dead Part Two so I mean that that says something right there but um so. Sinclair finally, you know, obviously kills Riverman, but right then and there, a zombie pops up behind her and she gets taken down and you just hear her screaming and crunching and you know that she's, she was eaten. But like you said earlier, her death was not that exciting. Like it it didn't have as much of a payoff as, as you know, we were, either of us were hoping for. Yeah. Her, her death was just fizzled. Which I, I wonder if maybe she didn't want to like like sit down and get her head, you know, um, you know when they have to actually build the prosthetic and you got to like actually make the 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 mold of the head and everything. Maybe she was yeah. like, I, I'm not doing, I'm not doing that. And uh, I, I will say that on the um, interview, they only briefly talked about her and they kind of alluded that she was a bit of a mm, tough person. So I don't want to say that she was like a, a bee or anything, but they kind of alluded that she was a little difficult. So, you know, and they did it nicely. So I, that's me sort of gleaming, trying to, to gleam from what they were saying. And, but the fact that they didn't linger too much talking about her, you know, kind of maybe tells you what, what you need to know. Yeah, good, good, good gleam. Good gleam. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so now, you know, zombies are on the loose. It's all chaos in there. And during the, the scuffle with them trying to get out, the base is like locking down. Um, and then a zombie, the, the Tarman 3.0 comes out of nowhere and yep. sort of attacks, um, you know, tries to go for Julie. Again, that's another, the only minor problem I have is like, why would the Tarman go for Julie and not uh, Kurt? But Kurt instinctively tries to protect Julie and gets his arm bitten. And they kind of, you know, uh, uh, get, you know, push the tar man back and you know, he falls down and they kind of get away and they come across uh, the dad. He's kind of like holding like one of the doors sort of open with a fire extinguisher. And he's like, Kurt, you know, come with me. You belong with me, not with her. And, you know, Kurt's like, no, I, I don't. I, I, you know, I do belong with her because he knows he was bitten. And yep. uh, they, Julie and Kurt, go into the incinerator room, and they go into the incinerator and um, have a nice little moment and uh, burn up and credits. <laughs> I was I was honestly a little shocked at how abruptly it ends. Yeah, 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 you know? I, I agree. I would love to know if there was more to it that they had. I always like knowing... If if they wanted to to just get a little bit more out of it, but they weren't able to, you know, shoot another scene, or maybe the original script had more development at the at the end. And when you think about it, you know, Return of the Living Dead one had like the whole thing at the end with the you know the rain and stuff. Return of the Living Dead two had a little bit of thing at the end with the military guys cleaning up and and the the gag with the you know get that damn screwdriver out of my head. Yeah. You know, so like 
it almost feels like that this should have had, after they burn up, there should have been a little bit of a time lapse, and then we should have gotten something else, you know, telling us something. Because like, that's the way these movies have gone so far. But, you know, as far as story goes, I mean, it's their story. So as soon as they die, it's over. And I think unlike other Return of the Living Dead movies, this one is very, very specifically about these two characters. You know, like, like whereas it's other, it's a, it's an ensemble cast getting stuck in a situation, whereas this story is very much about them. And the moment that they die, it's over. There's no more story because we're, it's Romeo and Juliet. We're following them. Yeah, it's a small, sm- much smaller scale. And I'm totally yeah. okay with that. But it, yeah, it would have been nice to have like a little bit of a, a button at the end of like, you know, yeah. what's going to happen mm-hmm. next? Like the trioxin's still out there, you know. And and there is like mention that that Brian Usna was hoping that there would that he could do a, a or maybe the writer could do a a sequel to this movie and it was like the zombies actually get out and it's all in LA. And I think they were trying to maybe position that, but you know, it, it didn't happen. But, um, so now, uh, you know, final thoughts, uh, Zachy Poo, can you, can you tell us what you think about this movie? Final thoughts. I enjoyed it. I was entertained from the beginning to the end. Uh, and it's definitely, it it holds up. It's, it's worth revisiting for if you've already seen it and it's been a while, watch it again. You might have a greater appreciation for it now than you did the last time you watched it. If you've never seen it, it's not, it's not return to living dead one or two. It's its own kind of entity. But if you're into gore and a a, a different twist on the zombie genre, that has definitely been used and reused time and time again after this movie came out. then I, uh, I recommend you check it out. It's worth it's worth it's yeah. worth worth going down memory lane. Yeah, dude, I'm 100% with you, dude. I'm like it it feels different than the other Return of the Living Deads and we said that early on. It's I like the fact that all three of Return of the Living Deads have different vibes and feel to them, different sort of themes and whatnot. Um and they all work in different ways. And you know, I think we discovered that in Return of the Living Dead 2, you know, we, we went in, both of us went in with a strong, nostalgic spin on Return of the Living Dead 2, and we were both, I think, a little bit pleasantly surprised, although I think we saw the faults in it. I think I think this movie's a better, I think Return of the Living Dead 3 is a better movie than yeah. Return of the Living Dead 2. I think it's, um, it's very fun, but it's also very tight and competently made uh, with very small plot holes. Like, we kind of you know, mentioned the, like maybe five, five total yeah. plot holes in this movie. It's, it's, it's really, really tight and very, very fun. Um, if you have no nostalgic value to this movie whatsoever, I think it still holds up. It, it it's, it's, a. Uh, it's really fun. All the effects hold up. All the gags hold up. The, my my only thing, my only caveat would be for the for God's sakes, don't watch the rated R version. Like yeah. watch watch the director's cut. Um, I would even go so far as say you know you can buy this on Blu-ray without seeing it. I think you'll have a good a good time in with it. And you know the the the, the version that's on Amazon Prime to actually watch. Um, like not only is it the rated R version, but the, the quality of the, of the transfer is just crap compared to this Blu-ray. So the, I would say, I would actually recommend picking up the Blu-ray. If you're a fan of zombie movies, if you've seen Return of the Living Dead 1 and 2, you own the Scream Factory versions and you're like, you know what, should I buy this one? 
fuck yeah, yeah. buy it. I think it's I think it's a fun zombie movie. I think it's, it holds up well, and I think it fits really well with the other three movies because I actually really like that it it expands in a good way on the mythos of the trioxin and you know you get a little bit more into it i liked all that kind of stuff here yeah and and consider the fact that it's directed by a really 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 good director uh versus you know the the romero sequels that have kind of taken on um a life of their own the the in name only romero sequels you know like the the day of the dead sequel which uh, which is terrible. You know, these, these movies don't have the heart that this movie has. This movie definitely, uh, is, is in a higher class, uh, with, I would lump it in with the, 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 the more, more quality zombie movies versus like the just straight, straight to DVD shelves that a lot of those movies have gone down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh no. A hundred percent. As someone who's, Unfortunately, seen that Day of the Dead sequel, which is pure trash. Yep. This, I mean, this looks like fucking Shakespeare compared to that. This is, and like you said, and I, I think we we keyed in on on it early on. This movie has something to say, and yeah. whether you know, fuck it, I, I think it says it. I think it has something to say about love, and I think it says what it wants to say. I, I think it tells the story that it wants to tell, and it's you know, kind of this Romeo and Juliet thing, but it's like it's about love and loss and letting go and not being able to let go, and it has more heart than it has any need or or deserves to have like return like like who like if you go back in time you're like say hey guess what return the living dead three part three is going to actually be good and it's going to actually have a lot of heart to it you'd be like that's stupid that's not going to happen you know but it does and i think it's because of the uh of brian usna and and the writer and uh, probably and everyone everyone all the actors were great everyone in this movie was was great was outstanding the only whole the only thing that was holding it back was maybe the budget and yep. you know the time and everything so it's 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 interesting so i think we both recommend it definitely definitely check out return of the living dead part three if you have not do it do it do it all right zach we are just shy of uh three hours so if i trim <laughs> once i edit and everything it'll be uh probably under three hours so why don't you uh tell us where we can find you out there in the world my friend Ooh, find me on instagram at zach schaefer z-a-k-s-h-a-f-f-e-r uh you can also find me on my other podcast two dollar late fee just but we're on um instagram and we're also on two dollar late it's a fun retro nostalgic trip with some great interviews and just nice deviations and uh from from uh, like great 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 stories and all sorts of zany wackiness it's fun check it out <laughs> that's where you can it find is me fun i Thank you. As someone who's listened to every episode, I can attest that it is fun. Thank you, sir. Um, so where, yeah. where where can we find you, Corey? Yeah, buddy. Um, well, pretty much uh, on most of the podcasts on the uh, BFOB <laughs> network. <laughs> um, you can find me here. Uh, you can find me on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. You can find me uh, talking about comic books with ongoing comic book discussion with my buddy Tess. And uh, occasionally I'm on the Blast From Our Past podcast. And uh, I'm hoping to get on the Friday Five podcast pretty soon. But uh, if you guys uh, want to find any of these podcasts, you can go to... 
bfopnetwork.com, and we have links to essentially every podcast in our network, and you can find everything on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, all that kind of stuff, and that includes Zach's $2 late fee with Dustin. You can find them on all the normal podcatchers and everything, and if you want to follow me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Corey Nation, C-O-R-E-Y, Nation, N-A-T-I-O-N. And um, I, had to, I had to think about that. That's sad. But uh, <laughs> what happens after recording for three hours? I know. I know. So so go and uh, go and find those. And guys and gals, please, please, please keep leaving us those five star reviews. I mean, we have nothing but five star reviews. They're fantastic. Please keep leaving them. They're great. But yeah. it's not just vanity. It's it's also how. Uh, you know, Apple Podcasts uses uh, their algorithm to kind of have us show up in front of new new people's eyes during searches and stuff. So it, it's not just vanity that we need those five uh, five star reviews. We also need them to find new listeners as well. So we appreciate all the the ones you guys have left so far. We appreciate all the love that you give us on the Reddit page, on the um, you know, on Instagram, everywhere. We feel the love. Seriously, keep 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 throwing it at us because we are loving it. And we will see you guys in two weeks with a brand new movie. I don't know what it is yet, so I'm kind of just trying to make it sound like I do, and I don't know. Well, it's my it's my pick. <laughs> I don't know right? what we're doing next. It's my, it is your pick, and yeah. you have not told me what it is yet. No, and, and, and it's going to be a good one. Oh, man. I, well, dude... I got to say, I need to find you a movie that you haven't seen because <laughs> you keep showing me this stuff like you're always like, oh, I don't know if you're going to like The Exterminator. And honestly, I think some of my favorite episodes are the ones where I, like Exterminator, Tough Turf, movies that you introduced me to that I literally had never seen before we recorded. So I'm not saying that you have to live up to that every single time. I'm just saying that I would like to reciprocate at some point and throw you a curveball that you enjoy. Although I think you you enjoyed Return of Dead Part Three a little bit. I did. I really, I really did. And I, well, I will, I will guarantee this next movie you've never seen, and um, you, <laughs> uh, you will be pleasantly surprised. I, I, I tend to go with themes. You know, I tend to go with themes. Yeah. I, I was, yeah. I was going with the teen, teen exploitation. Uh, so, is it going to be another exploitation revenge movie? Quite possibly. Uh, but then again, it might not be. We'll find out. Uh, I, well, dude, you're you're doing. I was gonna say you're batting something, but I don't know like baseball stuff. So um, I'll just say <laughs> you're doing really well so far. So I am excited to see what we're going to review next. So uh, follow us on Instagram and or Reddit, and we will announce it uh, within a week or so. Yeah, absolutely. So we hope you guys have a great time, and we'll catch you on the flip. <laughs> Late. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit. Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark.